Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. These things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater. From backyard plinking to serious training to big game hunting, humorexairguns.com has what you need. Humorex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting edge rifles that fire, get this, 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead tipped arrows. Humorex Air Guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, HumorXAirGuns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Visit HumorXAirGuns.com today. That's HumorXAirGuns.com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Hey, uh, everybody, right off the top, you know that uh, here at Meat Eater, we take calendars, real serious print calendars. And our second ever calendar is available now. So our, our uh, I think they call it your freshman effort. Is that what you call it, like your first album when you're a rock band? Yeah, sounds right. Your sophomore album is your second one. No? I think it's debut and then sophomore. So our debut calendar was uh, Fucked Up Old Deer Stands. And that was so much fun. This year we're doing Fucked Up Old Taxidermy. We got a lot of, it kind of went different this year. You can't really mail a deer stand. No. In. No, especially the big permanent ones. Yeah. But this year, we uh, how many did you dig through, Seth? I think like 1,500 or so. So you maybe had 1,500 more. submissions. Yeah. We got a lot out of there, but then we did something that I thought we should do the whole time. Yeah, we had people. But the suits kept, the suits kept uh, <laughs> trying to prevent me from doing it. Well... You, I kept being like, why don't we have the ones that where it's a great specimen of fucked up old taxidermy, that the photo's not that great, have them mail us the item. And people are like, you can't crate up all that. You can't crate up all that. <laughs> well, you well, have to. We're going to start crating it all, shipping crates of. Right? You kind of like, got your way, though. Oh, well, yeah. And no, it was great. <laughs> 
took a while. And I had a, I made a compromise. I'm okay. I'm like, okay, if the word crate is so offensive, we'll, we'll have stuff that fits in what would be called a box. <laughs> so we had stuff boxed. Yep. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll never say the word crate. I didn't introduce the word crate anyways. Someone else introduced the word crate. One minute I'm like, we should have them send that stuff in the next minute. Oh, now they're going to crate the boxed some of our favorites and Seth. Like we have a little, we had a great beaver. Yeah, the beaver was great. Who's for whatever reason missing his hands. He's fucked up old taxidermy. He's missing yeah. his hands. And Seth took him out and set him next to a beaver chewed tree and photographed him. We have like a mink in his natural habitat. But you look and he's like, there's something not right with that mink. Yep. Under a bridge. <laughs> Right where you catch them. Yep. It's a great calendar. Seth did the cover photo. What else? We had a squirrel I set up in a tree and took a picture Just of. where you find them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not sitting in some guy's yard. It's a bad squirrel. Fucked up old taxidermy in its uh, place in nature. Yeah, some of them would be kind of hard to do, I think. It's our sophomore calendar. that way. As things go, a sophomore effort doesn't do as well as the debut. Like, no matter how many people watch Godfather 2, right? Ain't as much as they watch Godfather. I think this one will perform. Oh, it'll do good. Yeah. It'll do good. I was just setting that up as a challenge for listeners to feel like they should go buy it to prove me wrong. That might not be effective. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. If you, but here's the thing. It, it's more relatable. More people in this world own fucked up old taxidermy than own a fucked up old deer stand. Yeah, what I learned... Going through all those photos is there's a lot of fucked up old taxidermy in this Floating world out there, and I, just being in bars and whatnot, working on this project made me like recognize, appreciate it more. Yeah, yeah. There's a little. I wrote a little intro and in there. There's a little essay in there about the stuff, the material. So that's available now. Um, as they point out in the description, it covers all twelve months, <laughs> as calendars do. Covers all 12 months of the year, all 365 days. <laughs> we didn't, you know, a lot of your calendars, they'll get to late December and they'll peter off. But yeah. This one sticks it out to the bitter end. <laughs> sticks it out to the 31st. Just in case you have, you know, something they, they going get, on in yeah, winter. They get bored and all of a sudden it's like they fade out, you know. Yep. This one, you can stick sticks with you till New Year's Eve. It's a great Christmas Then you're on gift. your own. Yeah. 2023. The 2023 Meat Eater calendar, fucked up old taxidermy, available now, wonderful photography. Seth's photography dominates the calendar. Thank you. Dominates the calendar. So uh, check it out now at themeateater.com. And I think there's going to be a lot of things, like last year we did stuff, you know, you bought, like we'd ship it with certain items and all that. One thing I liked about the calendar, the last thing I'll say about it, is last year if you looked at how many orders there were for the calendar, there were more calendars sold than orders which means people mm. wanted multiple calendars. Go yeah, figure. Yeah, if you're buying one, you might as well buy two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good idea, Seth. <laughs> okay, so so take a minute and, and buy that calendar. Uh, we'll wait for you. Okay, now that you got your calendar, I want to point out something here. We have, if you subscribe to the show, you know this. Um, this show releases every week, right? And then, and then you know, every, when, every Monday, this, this show releases. You listen to it on Mondays. On Wednesdays, you get to listen to the trivia show. We're going to do a whole special episode. So it's not in the normal Monday cadence. We're doing a whole special drop of the Meat Eater podcast. And if you want to get married, 
want to stay married, any of this kind of stuff, and you like to hunt and fish, you have to listen to this podcast because it will be a bunch of the people you know from this show in with their spouses to talk about their particular bits of advice or pain points that come from, uh, you know, the lifestyle. So if you uh, wake up one day and you're wondering why you see this mysterious drop of the Meat Eater podcast on an unexpected day, that's what that is. Uh, gather around your, uh, you know, your loved ones, especially if you're married to one, and listen in. This gives me occasion to quote my favorite quote, which I like to quote at least every two weeks on this show, and it's from my friend Pat Durkin, who uh, said of his area in Wisconsin, if you're not a deer hunter... You sleep with one. And uh, yeah, for all those people getting slept with, tune in. All right, where are we at? All right, I'm going to set the scene here. We are, we're in the Bahamas and we're departing from a small island with, you know, like a, a few permanent residents and a bunch of vacation homes and, and things on it but just like a small remote island we're headed out to go do some spear fishing we're in a like a pretty souped up 40 foot boat it's got twin outboards triple what am i saying triple outboards on it and we're headed out everything around here is pretty shallow you know there's a lot of water ranging from you know three feet deep to 60 70 feet deep in this area with a lot of reefs um sandy shallow areas you know which which uh which flats fishermen will call flats a lot of those around here but we're going to be going out into kind of that mid-depth water and we're going to be looking for we hole hunting for grouper in the reefs we're looking for hogfish um which i've never gotten before we're going to keep our eyes open for conch so to dive for conch which is a big saltwater snail that lays on the bottom and also checking the ledges and holes and whatnot for spiny lobster so a clawless lobster and what's cool about the bahamas is you can spear for them. Now, you are not allowed to use a spear gun here, so we're going to be using slings, you know, nothing with a trigger mechanism. So we're going to use a thing that uh, people who aren't from Hawaii call a Hawaiian sling, and people who are from Hawaii will generally call a three-prong or a pole spear. We're using those, but like I said, you can actually shoot lobster with them. In a lot of places, you can only hand-grab lobsters, but you can shoot them here, which makes it easier. So we're keeping our eyes out for all this stuff, and there's also a chance of like various pelagic fish coming through and joined by some people you should be familiar with. Uh, Kimmy Werner, who I do a lot of stuff with, and she's been on the show, Meat Eater, been on the podcast before, and Cameron Kirk Connell, if that name rings a bell, it's because Cameron told a great story at the end of a recent podcast episode, which was a teaser for our Meat Eater's Campfire Stories, Narrow Misses and More Close Calls. He's the guy that saved his friend's life by shooting him. If you want to know what I mean, you got to go in and listen to that story. There goes Steve. Man, that water feels good. All right, Cam, Steve, Kimmy, and Perrin are in the water. I think they see something. They're still at the surface. Cam just shouted to Steve and said that there are two hogs. Looks like Kimmy got something sweet. 
What kind of fish is that? Hogfish. That's a hogfish? That's a hogfish. Can we got a hogfish? Oh man. Look at that thing. Kimmy is holding. Tell me. So this is my very, very first hogfish. Apparently she's a female and I actually missed my first shot, but uh, me and Steve both missed and then I think I'm getting the hang of it a little oh more now. God, but look at how delicious and beautiful she looks. It's like, you mind describing it? Oh my God. It's like this coral, coral colored, beautiful fish with like a spangled face, such an interesting nose, crazy sharp teeth, and these streamers, these fins that are like absolute streamers. Just unlike any other fish I've ever seen. Amazing. So Congrats, cool. Kimmy. Thank you. Steve's uh, pulling the boat in. What do you come back with? Conch. Yeah. We have our vessel limit of eight conch with very well developed, what do you call them? Flare. Um, flare. Beautiful. Yes, and they were in high current. And that might be one way of explaining. Remember how yours were very covered in? Yeah, yep. Like a little dirty? Yeah, they're definitely These dirty. are like polished, man. These are like get ready for the gift shop. Those are beautiful. Ready for a Key West gift shop. <laughs> Shell shop. All right, so we're getting in the water. We're at, we have, uh, we're being approached by warmer, dirty water. Yeah. Now, yeah. Water from the flats and the dropping tide. We got a dropping tide all day, unfortunately. And then we're on a bit of a flat and we're where it drops off. So we're sandwiched between a, like a tide line and a ledge. And a ledge that drops from 70 to infinity. Yep, and it's gonna force every fish in the Bahamas into this little pocket. And what are you hoping to spear out there? Bunch of fish. A hog, a well, a hog, no, a hogfish. Because yeah, yesterday, yesterday I, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, I do. I blew, uh, I blew molt, uh, yeah. two good, two give, hand me down, hammies. What am I trying to say? Gimmies? I blew two gimmies yesterday. Layups. Layups. So the other thing about this tide line coming is on the flats is so much food. Shrimp, crabs, all that uh, stuff. So as this comes, there's a lot of fish feeding on that dropping tide. Stuff gets active. So we're gonna use the float lines here with the pole spears. That way, with this little bit deeper water, it goes from like 35 to about 60. We can shoot the pelagics that are coming by. You should see big yellow jacks here in max. And also the bottom fish. Like you can shoot those bottom fish and keep pressure on them. While still heading up exactly. to the surface. Because yeah. if not, I mean, it's, it's a tough dive for anybody. You think yeah. like chasing a fish and even a small hogfish wraps around one little thing and you're attached to the bottom, you're like, ugh. Okay, so I'm sitting in the boat with Brandon. Captain Brandon. Um, yeah, and they're all in the water filming and he's telling me what he believes is happening. So right now Cameron's following a big block right now, I'm assuming. Just What's on his a, behavior like? He's swimming faster than everybody else, splashing on the surface, which sometimes will cause them to shoot off into a hole mm -hmm. if they feel really threatened but right now he's just swimming and most likely swimming back to where he can't, his hole is. Now it might be in 50 feet of water or it might be in 80, 90 feet of water. He's, don't really, he's not really showing no signs of slowing down, put it like that. See what he's doing now. He's trying to, see oh, he he's- He just dove down, right? He's going down to try to chase him into a hole. 
because the, the closer you get to them, the more threatened they feel, especially after they've already started to swim away from you. So they're really kind of teaming up. Everyone's almost got a role, right? Yes. So like stuff like that, you want to keep an eye on him. Like if one person goes down to try to run him, he could go in a hole and shoot a totally different op um, direction. So it's always good to have multiple eyes in the water. See like how he's coming back towards us now. He's swimming them in a big circle. He probably so, doesn't want to go in at all. Oh, he's like splashing about. He's causing a lot See, of ripple and, first and foam he up was top. Like going, first he was going out towards the deeper water. Now he's coming back in. Okay. He's going to probably keep going around in a circle. Until, until they gets, get there. and Until he gets tired or he feels safe enough in a certain hole where he's going to go in but most of the time they will either go in the hole or they'll swim in until you're tired and okay. you just give up so he, that's all that's all they do so the go from hole off, to hole to okay. hole cam swimming real fast okay yeah. yeah real cat and mouse you gotta you gotta keep up with them that's the biggest thing there's a big group was like that they could out swim you and we're talking how big i don't know I could mean, be anywhere from what to what. I mean, to be honest, what I would call what a big, could, yep. what I call big is a 60, 70 pound Holy black shit. group of 50, 50 to 60, 70 pounds. Okay. That's a big one. And when you get over 70, that's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> We did a sprint marathon. We did the fish equivalent of tracking a fish. Like, it is, that's a lot like shooting a deer, tracking him and then he jumps up and he runs again and you gotta wait. But in this case, we have to like sprint swim for a couple hundred yards between each time, rest up, and every time he went deeper too. Yeah. So it was like 45, 50, 60, back into 50. And every time we went down and had a chance, like we had one little thing off or one of us spooked him or something and he'd do it again. The more you follow him, the more you want someone to shoot him. He gets bigger and bigger. It's <laughs> real personal. How big do you think that fish was? Probably right at 30. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was so important to have you guys sprinting because I come up from those deeper dives really wiped out and just like have the assurance I can swim slow, breathe up, recover, get ready while you guys are tracking it. Yeah, Steve and I were swimming as hard as we could, chasing it, and Kimmy would just like, Take your dime, come up. Lolly the gagging. Multiple times, like, every one of us was like fin deep in the holes. Like, I don't know how many videos we have of it, but at one point you were getting somebody's fish out of a hole and I had you by the belt and pulled you out because you were so that. far in there. Yeah, because I kept trying to back out on my own and go up and I wasn't out yet and finally I just felt you <laughs> Are you talking out. about like like the hole as being like a little... Caves. Like a cave? Mm -hmm. like yeah. A, okay, okay. Basically, a lot of the hunting we're doing today, we're going down, we're looking under these ledges that look like this little ledges but the minute you get down there you can actually... Something will lure you to mm -hmm. creeping further and further in and you can actually get pretty deep within those like yeah some of them are you know holes the size of a tent some are like flat and deep <laughs> sorry i'm a child <laughs> <laughs> what are you holding steve i'm holding two yellow yellow what 
yellow fin grouper, which are, I don't know, over 10 pounds. Yeah. How piece. long is that? I, that? I mean, it's longer than your arm, bigger than your arm. Yeah, 10 pound fish. Kimmy caught a ginormous huge hogfish. First one. First, How do you feel? First I feel. First then huge hogfish. I feel absolutely elated. Like that How was. about the fact that I missed him before you got him? <laughs> I mean, that. You feel like that tarnished them or made them cooler? No, because I actually, <laughs> I missed one first and then you missed one, so you just made me feel better. <laughs> but it did make the victory that much sweeter, for sure. But man, such cool fish. Yeah, no, they really are. Yeah. I mean, this lobster looks like an alien. It's cool to have like, when you look at all these fish up close, all the different details on them, like stuff that you don't think about when they're far away, but like all this, like paint, it looks like he's got painted up in the, on his forehead. Right, it's like pink, yellow, These blue. little blue lines. A friend of mine recently pointed out an irony of, sort of an irony of duck hunting, where he's like, you don't really get to see what they really look like and really appreciate their beauty till you kill one, <laughs> you know? And then you get then you get in your hands, you're like, holy shit, man, you know? Totally, that's the only way to really, really yeah, study you them. Yeah, you get your hands like, well, that's what that looks like. With their like colors before they all fade mm -hmm. away and change. I just can't even believe this cooler we're looking at. Yeah, it's a what? It's a 160 and it's full to the top. Yeah, welcome to the fish market. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, so, joined today by me, of course, mean ass old Kimmy Werner. <laughs> what? Cam That's not a good introduction. <laughs> well, listen, man. Oh my God! You got to give a little all bit that, of the I'm still been out of shape. Yeah, he's real sensitive, uh, sensitive about super that. Super sensitive. My wife wrote me a mean email. I did see the email. She really wrote, wrote me a was, mean. She sent you that email. It was brutal. No, she's down on me. But I, I appreciate it. Holy shit! But it's just basically because you asked Kimmy for her opinion. And yeah, she and then my gave wife it. wrote me a e mean email. And she still said mad that at her. she thought you were demeaning. You know what? I'm still mad at my wife about how she wouldn't change her name to my name. But Kimmy was saying when she met, she met Katie just randomly. Yep. And Katie introduced herself as Katie. as Katie Ranella. Yep. Uh, probably because she knew that we knew each other. Probably because she trying knew, to save she the, knew like, it would ring a bell. Yep. Yeah. That's cute. Uh, Brandon Albury, first time on the show. Yep. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and tell people where you're from. So I'm I'm from the Bahamas, one of the islands called Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. It's got a small keys off of it called Green Turtle Key. That's where I'm originally from. That's where you're brought up. That's where I was brought up long line of commercial uh, long line of commercial fishermen yes got it my father my grandfather did it and corinne and then parent james <laughs> parent james yes sir Pranto. here i am <laughs> <laughs> damn it <laughs> uh so when i was going through the names cameron kirk connell might ring a bell to y'all because he, it's kind of a long story. I became acquainted with Cameron because Cameron was a part of our Campfire Stories audiobook number two, and which was uh, Narrow Misses and More Close Calls. And in, in keeping with tradition, when we came out with that audio series, we, uh, we teased y'all, titillated y'all by playing a, like one of our favorite joints off it. You get that reference? So they call a, a, a song, a track, 
on on contemporary albums. He called it joint. One of the joints off that one of the joints off that <laughs> album was Cameron Kurt Connell talking about the time he saved his buddy, and, you, and many of you have heard this story now. The time he saved his buddy spearfishing by shooting him in the fin, shooting him in the flipper, what we used to call him when we were kids. Uh, so we're gonna hear a little more because that like uh, there's a couple more. I want to get a couple more questions into him about the backstory, and and this is also in keeping with tradition, Crin, because with number one. One of our favorite stories. Yeah. They're all great. One of the favorite stories was Sam Lawry's story about the sociopathic elk poacher. Mm-hmm. And then he later came on the show and gave us a little yep, totally. so extra we're backstory. Out, right. So we're, we're in keeping with tradition here. So we're going to hear a little more from Cameron on that. And a little bit about his career, which is a which is a very interesting um, niche he's carved out for himself in this, in this uh, global life that he lives. But... Uh, a couple things we got hit off right, right off the bat. Wait, hold on. Where Two are needs. we? Oh, we're in the Bahamas. Did we? Uh... No. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like that's Cameron, important. explain where we are. We're in the Bahamas. There you go. <laughs> you happy, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> that's more exact than saying the Atlantic or Caribbean. Surrounded by a lot of shallow water, which is in proximity to some extremely deep water, which makes it a very uh, verdant environment around here like a like a life rich environment yep that that having that shallow water in the proximity to deep water but a large area of connecting shallow water creates a a nursery you know an ecosystem that you know can constantly you know resupply itself you know we had talked about it kind of on the way over here initially you know as a kid i thought i need to go to the most remote islands that are out there by themselves because that's got to be the best spot. But it's such a finite area of like diveable and fishable bottom before it drops off to infinity. Yep. That's a pretty small group of fish that's going to live there. So come to find out that a lot of these areas that are just connected for 100 miles by 5 or 10 or 20 feet of water, those are by far the best because they just have that gigantic area to grow more fish. And you just, you know... It's pretty wild to to see you know a spot like this that you think, holy cow, there's so many people coming here, but like yeah, how can it hold up? Yeah. yeah, it just holds up. Yep. You happy now? Yeah, because I just need to keep in tradition and set the scene. You're oh. all about the scene setting. People need to know what you know where we are. Can I get into our needs now? Go ahead. So, this is a sensitive issue. <laughs> Speaking of my wife, she told me just to drop it, but I can't drop it. <laughs> yeah. We had yeah. a fish heist. <laughs> in our office, in our office, we had a fish heist. We came home with a bunch of fish. One of the coolers of fish, it was a styrofoam cooler. We had like, we brought some soft-sided coolers, filled our soft-sided coolers up in Louisiana, had extra fish. A dude, a dude next door gave us one of them thick styrofoam coolers. Chester, I know this for a fact. Chester loaded all that fish into the styrofoam cooler, taped it up, got back to the office, and went into the freezer by my office and placed that cooler in the freezer. Had cobia, had um, a thing that I seem seems to me would be of low interest, which 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 is my barracuda fillets, <laughs> and had a bunch of snapper fillets. Okay. Later, I go to get it. 
I'm with my neighbor, Pottery Pat, and we go down. I'm like, I got to stop in here and grab my fish. How much there, later? A couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. Couple so weeks time go by. goes by. Yep. A couple weeks go by. I go in there. It's like a Sunday. We go down there. It's not in there. I go check the other freezer. It's not in there. I go check the freezer in the lunchroom area. It's not in there. We put out an all company. Where's the fish? All company email, guys. On a, on a stupid, I'm not on it, but Slack, I don't use it. So put out an all company. I, I offer a $20 reward. <laughs> put out another all no, company. Yeah, my, my wife's like, fall. enough already with the stupid fish. Can't, we can't But if, if it was missing electronics, right? Totally. If it was missing electronics, we wouldn't just, it wouldn't just sweep it under the rug. Right. And it's like if someone took it by accident. Someone took it by accident, know, they'd like, be like, bro, I took say, it by accident. Yeah. Or like there's all this free or if I like stuff around wasn't thinking it. and gave it to him, they'd be like, dude, you gave me that fish. But it's not true. No one will come forward. So, so Steve wants to I do want the following. But there's still in. another part of the story because then after you put out the all company email, didn't oh, the cooler right? We show? found oh, we found the cooler with the dang towel in it. Yep, one of our <laughs> one of our equipment guys who manages equipment, um, and, and many other things, <laughs> says, "Oh, I found that cooler with a towel in it, an empty cooler with a towel in it in like the cardboard box area. No one will come forward." So what we're trying to find is we're trying to find a polygraph examiner who can come into the studio. <laughs> but in Montana, polygraphs are not admissible. We, we've done a little bit of research, actually. Rich. So there's not like we don't have a shitload of polygraph examiners running around because polygraph evidence isn't admissible in court in Montana, but they use it on sex offenders. So we need a, someone that's got the damn polygraph machine, knows how to run it. They're going to come into the studio, and we're going to start with Chester and work out from there <laughs> <laughs> and polygraph examine them as part of a podcast episode. I'll just say this as a disclaimer. It probably is illegal to force our colleagues to take a polygraph test, so we're going to ask them to step forward voluntarily. Oh, and if they won't do it, then I'll be like, oh, so where's the fish? <laughs> no, if someone's like, I'm not doing that, I'm like, they give me the fish back. <laughs> Because if you won't do it, that's the best way. It's like coming and do a polygraph. I'm not doing a polygraph. Then you know they're guilty. It's like, what are they doing with the barracuda flays? The other way I'm going to catch them, the other way I'm going to catch them is I'm going to start talking about, man, I've never tried barracuda. And someone's going to be like, oh, no, it's not bad. I'm like, how would you know? And then I'll know they stole the fish. So, guys, stay tuned. Part two of the saga. Yeah, you and your machine will just come to the office. Crin will fly you out. With your machine, I don't even know what they look like. And we're going to hook some people up. I'm hooking <laughs> Seth up. I'm hooking Chester up. And I'm just going to start hooking random people up from the office. <laughs> Kylie. <laughs> Who sent out all the stuff. Because she's my lead suspect. Because she's the one. <laughs> she, Kylie, <laughs> give me a. Because <laughs> she's the one that's so hot to find the person. It's like, uh, it's like Stone smelled her first. You know what I mean? She's truly the last person ever. So. Uh, here's the other big need, and this is more complicated, and Spencer's being a pain in my ass right now about it. We bought that punt gun. We bought a punt gun at auction for not a small amount of money. Uh, to the point where it's like a little bit controversial in the office is the punt gun. Um, what we're really having a hard time finding is we're having a hard time finding shells for it. 
someone that can make the shells for it. So I think when we estimated it out, it's a it's a Holland and Holland. It's an H and H punt gun from the late eighteen hundreds. I think we estimated it, they don't go by gauges, but it's like a two gauge, huge. Hmm. Jeez, we have like one or two Fan. casings. We have one or two casings for it. There's all this stuff too. Like you can't use. So we need someone that can load the shells for us. We've been checking around with some shell makers, but people it seems that people don't really want to go near it. The guy we bought it from said, quote, I'm a little hesitant to just forward the info because it basically amounts to pack a whole bunch of black powder and lead shot into a really big cartridge based on info from a guy in another country that you've never met relayed to you through two other guys you'd never met. So he goes on, so please check into this, all this, all that. He says, but I know you guys are professionals, so you'll figure it out. Two ounces, 20 drams of coarse black powder, <laughs> 10 ounces a shot. Whew. Mini cannon. Yeah. Two ounces of coarse black powder. And there's something like you got to use like an old-timey black powder because of the, the integrity of the barrel. And it's 10 ounces a shot. Or 1.5 ounces of 15 drams, or, fi- or 1.5 ounces, or 15 drams of coarse black powder, and eight ounces a shot. Fill case with powder, measure out shot, fill space between powder and shot, making sure no air gap. Overshot card wad to keep shot in place using scotch tape to secure. Primer. It'll be either a 38 or 32 pistol blank. Or you can figure out a way to rig a standard shotgun primer in it. We've got to find a way to get them made. Someone out there has to have a whole pile of old punt gun casings. Or know someone who does. And we'll have our safety glasses on. Please write us at meateater at themeateater.com. I'm going to put a safety glasses and maybe like a cutting torch thing on. Clear, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That was one of the funniest things about the pandemic is you know everybody, the face shields that look like a welder <laughs> yes. that they all said face shield on them. It's like not many products say what the you know what I mean. So few products say what the product is. In, in case, but you they really all don't said know face. Yeah, they all said huge letters <laughs> face shield. It's like, it's like, oh okay. All right, those those are the two primary needs. If you've learned anything after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, it's this. There's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, no way, can't be true. But there isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month 
at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season, they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days. Or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. From backyard plinking to serious training to even big game hunting, humorexairguns.com has what you need. Umarex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting-edge rifles that fire 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead-tipped arrows. As air gun hunting has grown across the nation, Umarex Air Guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, Humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Humorexairguns.com also has a lineup of airsoft and paintball markers that replicate your favorite concealed carry pistols, which allow you to practice drawing, aiming, and firing for pennies on the dollar and without loading up to go to the range. Visit Humorexairguns.com to see how far air power has come since you were a little kid. That's humorexairguns.com. I want to follow up on one quick thing before we get back into what we're talking about is at one point we were discussing scrotum injuries. And I don't know where it is. How did you refine this from so long ago? I didn't refine this. The guy emailed me like a couple days ago. And just follow. And we up. hadn't heard from him since January of 2021. That's when we talked about it on the podcast. And it just got it got on his and mind. And he, yeah, um, he just he just emailed me back out of the blue. Okay, so so I, I'm going to revisit what happened because it's so damn long. Ago. Yeah, it was one of the better scrotum stories that came in. He was riding horses down. In, his family lives in West Texas. Um, but they were down in the Chihuahuan Desert of Old Mexico. He came across what he now believes was a rattlesnake, and the horse freaked out. Um, he fell off the horse and thought he was okay, but then looked and was surprised to see that one of his testicles was actually out of its out of the scroll, mm-hmm. hanging on by its cord. Like you want to talk <laughs> about free balling, okay? <laughs> Hanging out of his jeans and out of the scroll. <laughs> they had the wherewithal to pack it in ice, still hooked to the cord. Kind of looked like that conch you were cleaning yesterday. Packed it in ice <laughs> and headed for the border. Got stopped by Federales. 
one of the kids had a airsoft pistol spray painted black so it looked like a real gun. The federales see this. He says there's lots of shouting and waving the guns. Someone notices the scroll the testicle. <laughs> starts yelling vominos, vominos. <laughs> and waves them through. <laughs> he gets 16 stitches in his leg and 12 stitches. They tuck the they tuck the nut back in and 12 stitches to the scroll to put it back in there. Doctor said ice was the best thing that could have done. Now he writes back in, just got to thinking about it. Yeah, do we talk about it? Gets to thinking about it. And he wanted to add some details. He wanted us to know that the cord is called the epididymis, unsevered. That the medical professional said it was a good move that he packed it in ice, especially because it's so hot and dry down there. The main follow up is this his uncle worked in a prison for years. His uncle said that this is one of the most common self-inflicted wounds that inmates use to get themselves sent to the hospital. It's called a degloved testicle, and they do it with a sharpened pencil. What you guys think? For of what that? that's worth, <laughs> well, it doesn't sound that too well to tighten me. Up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, one other thing we gotta get into. This, I'm gonna, this is going to be put to bed after this. The, 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 the fish heist is just getting started, but this is going to be put to bed. Uh, white-tailed, so, so as everybody knows, the proper way to say it, like the scientifically accepted way to say the white-tailed deer, the deer we all know and love, America's deer. If you're ever writing a letter to someone, you're supposed to say, you're supposed to write white-tailed deer. Not whitetails. I was saying how Heffelfinger is stupid for believing this. And I also, in that same conversation, regular guest Heffelfinger, who's set to come on pretty soon, I also said that he's nipple deep in jaguar stuff. He wrote in to say, I'm also nipple deep in deer stuff. And he's saying, despite anything I've said, white-tailed deer isn't an old version. It isn't something from Pat's world. It is the official and correct name of that species. It is common to use the colloquial form whitetail or whitetails. I use that con this is Heffelfinger. I use that constantly to mix it up and not sound so stiff and formal as one does using the correct full name all the time. Then he goes on to say, it is uncommon among knowledgeable people to use whitetail deer or whitetails. Pat goes on. This is a group email. Calls me, a, calls me a thing that I can't repeat on air. <laughs> I can't. He says, you ignorant. It's a word that is not even in my vocabulary. Oh, come on. I clearly said that white-tailed deer is wrong and white-tailed deer is right. Changing it now on one man's personal preference long after the proper name is established in science and literature as shown in the deer books I referenced earlier, is akin to Fox News calling the Democratic Party, its official name, the Democrat Party. Okay, back to cleaning bluegills. <laughs> Pat, so call- from Pat, I'm done. Okay, go ahead, but then we're done. Okay. Pat used a Saturday Night Live reference and called Steve an ignorant slut. Okay, there, I said That's it. a Saturday Night Live reference? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. called him an ignorant slut. I didn't catch slut. that. 
Because, man, when I came back from New Zealand, I had a very bad word that got into my vocabulary. Uh-huh. And speaking to my wife again, I used it one time. Whew, that did not go over oh. well. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why you're being such a... Uh, all right, so first off, Cameron, I want a little more, like, a little more detail around the story you told about uh, saving the, your friend. Mm-hmm. First off... Ex- explain your professional occupation like in the store you say like you were in i, I can't remember where you were somewhere in florida we we're on the west coast of florida yeah, and down you were doing you were doing tarpon guiding mm-hmm. so i worked at the time i got out of school and started working on ships that's what i went to college for I went to the merchant marine academy yeah and you're you're qualified for anything that floats yeah and if it's not floating we decided i don't want anything to do with it yeah. <laughs> but like you can pilot any ship Yes. Or drive yep. any, whatever the hell you call it. What do you call it? Ships, yeah. So I have an unlimited tonnage captain's license, basically. Yeah, like transoceanic stuff you yep. were involved in. So as you've noticed this week, I have major FOMO, you know, for like whatever the best thing is going on at the time. So I would work for four months at a time and travel around the world, um, you know, working on the ships. And during that time, I had unlimited resources for charts. So I would look at charts like all day long. And as the places I would go, I'd be like, this looks like it would work because it you know, there, blah, blah, blah. So I would just plan the places I was going to be for my four months off for surfing, fishing, spearfishing. And I just traveled around the world and just immersed myself in each of these places. So like a place like the West coast of Florida, um, I had a buddy that was a, a tarpon guide there. He's like, you know, we knew the spearfishing was great there. He's like, you know, on our days off, we can go, you know, spearfish. I was like, all right, I'll come mate for you. Make, 200 bucks a day, you know, cash and get to go fish for tarpon every day. So that's why and you guys I was were taking, you guys were like taking cl- chartering clients to fish tarpon. Correct. Yep. And then on a day off, I remember like trying to smooth that out and we were editing the, the project mm-hmm. is, uh, you're like, you very quickly said, I was helping people catch, you were helping people catch tarpon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was working as a mate, like on a, a charter boat there. I do like two months at a time with him. But at that same time, you were merchant marine. And mm-hmm. doing the, the ship work. Right. So that was in my... And now you're, you're done with that now. Done with that. So that was during my like four month, you know, vacations. Because usually you work for four months and then you had four months off. So I knew that, you know, Indonesia was good that time of year. So I'd go to Indonesia for two or three months and like, you know, just basically go as far as I could and listen to story after story that was going to link me to the next spot to check out you know, and see a picture of a fish in one place and figure out where that was and go to the next one and just, just kind of grew my, you know, knowledge base, you know, by traveling and like really being there, you know, not going for two or three days, but going for months Mm -hmm. and then coming back again for months. And that's how I like, you know, really obviously got good at what I do now, but, um, yeah, fell in love with, with being, at the edge of the earth all the time and and hit real quick i know you're you got your like you do a handful of things but talk mm-hmm. about your so, like the sort of like guiding into your business real so, quick. so my core thing was about um i guess 10 or 12 years ago somebody asked me hey will you take me spearfishing i was like sure okay um and they said what are you going to charge i was like i don't know because there's no real spearfishing guides at the time uh long story short halfway through the first day he's like you're really good at this. This is what you need to do for work. There's a niche for this. It's like, okay. He's like, well, I'll rebook you. I want you to find me a, a, you know, a boat in the Bahamas, um, take my son and his buddies and, you know, do a trip with them. I'm like, okay. By the time I got home from that trip, 
he had told two of his buddies and they called me and from there man it just blew up and you know i'd always you can get the boat operate the boat yeah so we take care of all the paperwork mostly what i do is i am hired to go and basically captain other people's boats you know around the world and mate and guide so my core knowledge base is where and when to go and the way my mind has always worked if I'm going to spend my own money to be on the edge of the earth, I want to be at the best place at the right time and the right moon tied everything to have a chance at a world record. And that's been one of the hardest things for me to shift to is expectations for people might not be there. You know, like, you know, to go and just get enough fish for dinner is what we're doing 99.9% of the days. You know, the, the record thing is such a small part of it, but coming to terms with that myself has been tough because my drive is so hard like to go and get records and personally i think i've had 15 or 18 records i've had a bunch but i've i've guided clients even if it's their first week ever spearfishing to a total of like i think 20 or 25 it's been a bunch so kimmy and i were talking about this what i take the most pride in now and enjoy the most is being able to convey that knowledge to other people to get them to enjoy, you know, what we're doing and enjoy it. So now where that's taken my business is I have myself and a couple other guys that work with me and people hire us to take them all over the world to, you know, hunt different fish. How do you get their boats there? Usually I have connections for boats in different countries. Um, And a lot of guys have, have the means with these really big badass boats that we can take all over the world. So, I've got some groups that we've got stuff planned two years out. Like we know that we're going to go to this island group in Tahiti this part of the year. And then the boat's going to shift to Fiji. Then it's going to go to Tonga and go here, here, and here. So we plan like there are itineraries as well, like all over the world. And they fly in and out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So now let's get on with the, 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 the guy. The guy you pulled up out of the bottom. Or he wasn't even near the bottom, but deep. Thank God he wasn't near the bottom. <laughs> we we're in like 180 foot. Yeah. So that that's So what happens to him? If I mean his eardrums gotta be cooked, right? Oh man. So when he came up, like Steve's got a kind of blue colored shirt on with a it's a meat eater shirt with some musky or something eating another fish, eating another fish. That Circle color blue life, man. <laughs> on that color blue on your shirt is what he was. Like Holy his whole shit. face and everything. Like when Corinne was seasick the other day, she was pretty green. Oh, we're going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, like, Corinne literally turned green. <laughs> she, he, was, he was even more past that. I was that. like, I didn't know people actually turned green. <laughs> he, he was blue. Like for all intents and purposes, I, I thought he was dead. And then he had blood coming out of everything. You think how hard it is to go to the bottom of your pool without equalizing your ears, that yeah. pressure you feel in your ears. Imagine going like when I pulled the trigger on him, I, I think I was in 70 feet or 80 foot. By the time I got to the surface, by the time they started pulling him up, God knows how deep he was. Oh, because he would have kept sinking that whole kept time. Kept sinking. Because you figure from the depth I was at, it would have taken Ugh. me another 20 seconds. So he's talking about a guy that passed out in the water and just started to sink. Mm-hmm. And you have like, this is the, the, I think you get into this too. There's like a reflex. I didn't know, I didn't really know about this. You wonder like if you pass out underwater, why don't you just instantly drown? Right. There's like a like a reflex, probably that, that dates back to when you're in your mother's womb. Yep. That you don't breathe 
that it shuts off. Like you just don't breathe. Your body is doing everything in its power to survive for you doing some dumb shit move that kept it from getting op- oxygen. Basically, yeah. it's so weird that your body just doesn't be like, <gasps> right. Yeah, take a so, big old right. suck in a big old gulp of water. So your uh, your vocal cords close and lock down your throat. So you're not taking any any water in, and basically you go you're passed out. Um, Unless you have your snorkel in your mouth. Exactly. So that's one of the oh. reasons we take our snorkel oh, out of your mouth. Right? If you have huh. your snorkel in your mouth and you pass out, it'll actually funnel water straight down your throat and you'll yeah. drown faster. You'll actually drown. Instead oh. of it instead of it locking up, it'll just like a straw. That's why we that's spit interesting. Our we're, out. We're, before I I did I had to learn later you're supposed to take that thing out. When we were kids, man, we always just kept it right in. Yeah. There's a good yeah. reason you take the snorkel out of <laughs> yeah. your mouth when you die. <laughs> hey, you think about it, it's like whoop. You know that that pressure to pull yeah because it in you there. know and then you pr- there could be like an air pocket in there which you you'd think you're like gonna sip air right mm-hmm. so the your body shuts down you're you know totally you know out basically and you've got these sensors on your face so when you when you come up to the surface that's what your body's waiting for is to feel air because your the sensors on your face can feel that you're in the water and your body's just saying hey we need to go in total survival mode we're gonna slow down the heart. We're gonna stop breathing. We're gonna we're gonna close our trachea. Like we're I'm sorry, close our uh, our vocal cords. Like we're just gonna survive as long as we can until we feel air again. So if you don't feel air, eventually your body's gonna be like, hey man, we're about to run out of all fuel altogether. We got to do a last ditch effort, and that's called terminal gasp. And if oh, so that does eventually happen. Eventually happen. So when you pull someone, a drowning victim, up who like a who blacked out underwater, now who mm-hmm. drowned at the surface. So you gotta you gotta really differentiate drowning and blackout. Yep, they're totally two. Because you're at you're at the surface gulping water when you're drowning. Correct. Yeah. So a blackout victim is way easier to deal with than than a drowning. But that victim. blackout victim will eventually inhale water. Correct. Yeah. And you hear about like little Timmy that fell through the ice and survived for thirty minutes or whatever. Age, temperature of the water, like the, all the conditions, everything, determine how long. Before the terminal gas. Exactly. So like Timmy falls through the ice or whatever, it's basically putting him in the refrigerator and slowing him down. That's so, a good name for the episode, the terminal gasp. Yeah. That's a, that's what about big a, what about big Konkin though? We need to get there. <laughs> <laughs> we got a, a bunch of bunch we'll of there. good we'll yeah, title so possibilities. Like, Timmy might survive thirty minutes. You yeah. know, and they pull them out, and, and but that like, is like that's such a common story. Yeah, <laughs> Timmy from Minnesota right? <laughs> goes through the ice. Yeah, uh, but like in warm water like that, realistically, you've got four, five, six minutes, maybe. You know, and then you're going to do that terminal gasp, and when you do that, then you're in deep shit. Then you're going to sink because right? then you've taken a huge mouthful of water, and you're 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 really in deep shit. So. Our goal is obviously get your get a hold of them as fast as you can, close their airway, get them safe to the surface, lay them on their back, get their mask off, blow, tap, and talk. So you blow across their cheeks, you tap on their face, and you tell them breathe, breathe, breathe. And in the, I mean, ten people that I've saved, and parents been there for four of them. Um, no shit. Almost every one of them has come back with that first breath, that first breath across their face. They go <gasps> and take a breath. Because your body is just like waiting for that air. As soon as they feel it, it's ready to roll again. Yeah, and then they're normally like, get off me, I'm fine. Yeah, so they have you have short-term amnesia. 
when you black out. Or they're crying hysterically or they're laughing hysterically. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of times. Oh, you never uh, know what someone's going to do when they yeah. wake up. So my first time I saved someone, he was like, I was salsa dancing. I was like, where are you? Salsa dancing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this, the, the he came up. Mm-hmm. And how was he, like, wh- we didn't really get into this. Like, what was his sort of uh, litany of health problems after the fact? So he went into, he went in an intensive care unit for like three days okay. because they were worried about, he had so much fluid in his lungs because the alveoli in your lungs or whatever, they just burst. And like, you've have all, that's what all that orange foam is that you had, like he was spitting out and all that. So he had so much fluid in his lungs. They were worried about pneumonia you know, okay. uh, secondary drowning, all that kind of stuff. So, and how do they treat long. the ear problem? Uh, I don't even know. Well, he's bleeding out his ears. Yeah, ears. I, I mean, I want to say I remember him bleeding out of his eyes. I mean, there was blood everywhere. Like if, if you, if you had a picture of him right when he came up, you'd be like, that guy. There's no way. Like he's got to have so much stuff going on. But, and he got back in the water after that. Yeah, he actually had a samba about a year later when we were together and I grabbed him when he was sombing, you know, that's when he like close to blacking out. I was like, Steve, don't. His, his name's Steve. <laughs> I was like, Steve, don't fuck with me on this. <laughs> it's like, don't do this ever again. You know? And he's an avid diver. Yeah. Yep. I told you he's my insurance guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances of that? <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, something happened. You'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you guys, you guys do a little business together. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, I do, uh, he does business for me, I guess. Now, did he come out of that super cautious? I, I think so. I think it was uh, an eye opener. And honestly, like I've gotten so many messages over the years from like the next morning after that happened, I just wrote the story down. You know, no filter, just exactly how it happened. And um, it was mo- it was mostly like cathartic for me just to kind of get it off my chest because it was so traumatic for me, but. I can't tell you how many, you know, dozens and dozens of peoples over the years have said that made me conscious enough to be watching my buddy to save their life. Mm. You know, thank you for sharing that because it's such a, I don't want to say it's taboo, but it's like a, a machismo thing that like people don't talk about in diving because they're usually embarrassed, Yeah, you know, because like people aren't going to think that I'm that good of a diver or whatever, but like, you got to be aware, like that's more dangerous than any shark, you know, is, is blacking out your own drive to not survive, basically. It's so true. It really, it is something that when it happens, everyone just kind of keeps quiet, you know, and um, you don't want to embarrass somebody. But mm. when, when that article, because what you wrote got published in Hawaii Skin Diver magazine, and when that came out and I read it, like it, I was grateful for it. Like it definitely made me that much more careful to always like watch the person like even after they come up because sometimes you're so eager to die that you see them take a breath and then you go down right. but it's like you gotta actually wait you know because sometimes people can come up breathe even talk and then pass out what you were recognized by the coast guard yeah so <laughs> what was that so the coast guard met us like uh as soon as we got him up like i was like the uh, tasmanian devil running around the, the boat when we got in um, you know, cut the anchor line, get on the radio, call the Coast Guard, blah, blah, blah. So we start running in. And we were like 60 miles offshore. The Coast Guard met us about 40 miles out, put him in the basket in the helicopter and took him in. Um, so about six months later, I got a call from the Coast Guard and they're like, hey, this is, 
you know, officer so-and-so, um, you know, we're doing an investigation into, you know, this thing that happened with Steve offshore, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, shit, man. And I literally told him, I was like, hey, man, look, I, I've been through a lot with this. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, it, it's actually a good thing. Um, the Coast Guard wants to recognize you for uh, possibly getting an award. I was like, okay. So they did this investigation into it. And long story short, the Coast Guard gives out two life-saving awards, a silver and a gold. And the um, they awarded me the silver life-saving award, which is the basic premise behind it is someone that basically completely forgets about their own safety, puts themselves in in total peril to save someone else. Um, and when they, they gave me the award, the admiral, the, um, the head of the Coast Guard was there and uh, I think you know, all the senators, congressmen and all the military oh, people. For yeah. the, it was a big deal. Um, he told the story. And I mean, I'm, it's hard for me to tell a story like having it on the audiobook is the best thing ever for me. Cause I never have to tell it again. Yeah. So you're saying now you can just people like you can refer people to the link. <laughs> Cause it, it's tough to tell. Yeah. Um, but you know, everybody like started standing up in there and everything. It was, it was pretty cool. But he said in my, you know, 40 years of being in the coast guard, I've only given this award two other times and it was posthumously. Huh? Like the people died saving somebody else. I was like, Phew. so it was the 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 award that I would least want to have for the reason I would least want to have it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it's something you never want to do and you could never plan. You know, but in all the years of spearfishing with people around the world and being in remote places, we had always said, you know, if you can't get me or you're thinking you can't get me, shoot me. Because at least you'll be rigidly attached. Because if I'm already going to die, shoot me in the leg. You know, don't shoot me in the chest or whatever. <laughs> you know, shoot me in the leg. Mm -hmm. But that was, uh, that had been my original goal was to shoot him in the calf. But he turned. <laughs> I, I met a guy just recently who was recovering a victim. And he was on tanks. And he dove down to the base of an oil rig. Found the victim. Couldn't get him up and decided to drag him over and tie him to the foot of the rig so that he wouldn't have to worry about trying to find him again later. And then tying the guy's body to the foot of the rig, he got so messed up, he wound up in a, he lost track of time. And he wound up in one of those decompression chambers. Jeez. Because he had to bomb up to the surface. Yeah. It's it, the diving thing. Honestly, I, I personally think free diving with having been trained for it is way safer than scuba. Than tank diving. Because you can take any person off the street, street, give them a scuba tank at, you know, wherever, and they can go down as deep as they want because all they got to do is breathe. Yeah. You know, whereas free diving, your body is telling you, hey, you need to go up. Yeah. You know, like you, if, if you have that self-preservation gene, you know, which everybody in this room has just from spending time with you, you know, we all want to come home. We know we're going to be able to get fish, but we all want to come home. There's people that just don't have that synapse in their brain. You know, they're, they're going to push it as hard as they can every time. And parent, I call it like the, the race car driver, you know, thing. Like if they're on a motorcycle, they're going to pin it every time they're going to go as fast as they can. If in the class they could do 120 foot free dive, every dive, that's how deep they think they can go. Yep. And you think about even when we're diving in 20 foot, you know, for the lobsters, it's not every time you can even, you know, spend more than 10 seconds down there. Sometimes you didn't get a good breath or whatever. 
imagine trying to do that super deep. You're just asking for trouble. Yep. Okay, back to the Bahamas. I want to I want to get into a little bit about like the sort of regulatory structure in the Bahamas. And the reason I bring that up is this is the only place I've ever been where size limits on fish is expressed in pounds. Have you ever heard of that anywhere? I think in the Mediterranean they do that. <clears throat> and the boat limit is in pounds as well. The other thing to note is for a Bahamian registered boat with Bahamians on board, the regulations are different than for us because we're a foreign flagged vessel. Oh. There's none at all. Yeah, for them, there's nothing. None at all? No. No lo- no size limit for lobsters? You still got your size limit for lobsters, your group and stuff like that, but we could get as much as we want. Got it. So give me a couple, hit me with a couple of these like size things. It's weird because like a lobster for for a foreign vessel, mm-hmm. a lobster tail, it's not the lobster. It's how long his tail is. And that's expressed in, in regular old inches. Right. Mm-hmm. So five and a half inches, right? Five and a half. So it's five and a half inches, which for the area that we are and for the number that we're allowed to get, which is 10, you're never even going to come, you know, worry about that. Because most of the ones we got were like five pounds. I mean, they were big. Well, I'll point out that in my um, very juvenile efforts in the Bahamas some a few years ago, we couldn't find one with a five and a half inch tail. <laughs> but we were like, you know, right out, like kind of like out in front of where everybody lived, right? Long, long island. Couldn't, you know, you'd think it looked huge and you'd bring it up and like, ah, nope. And different areas of the Bahamas have general different sizes. I, I, I don't know what it is about here and a couple other spots in the Bahamas, but the access to deep water or the temperature or whatever, these big giant ones come off the wall and come up in shallow. Um, but other places you go, you'll, you'll just never find one in all your time, you know, looking. Um, they're all going to be those little ones that are just barely legal. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you can take them by hand, by a hook, which I think we probably have some video of Brandon hooking them. Yep. What is it called? Hook, hook and hook and joke. Hook and joke. So oh, what's the word? Hook and joke. Joke, joke. with like a J. J O K. So what the hell does that mean? So like the bottom where you kill them, that's the jucking part. Jucking? You hook and juck. Huh. Yeah. Do you use the word juke for other things? <laughs> or does it just mean like, like is it like specific to lobster or does it mean stab? Stab. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you can shoot them with a pole spear or a sling, which the regulations for underwater hunting here is just something triggerless. You can't have a way of resting, you know, or a, a, a how, how do they say it? So basically loaded power that you don't have to you know, touch or whatever. You yeah. can like let go and then in shorthand you can't use a spear gun. Correct. You have to use the thing where you like hand, yeah, hand you, power. Your, your hand, hand is holding it and it's triggered, not triggered. You release your hand and let it go. There's no way to store the energy. Right. So for the rest of the world, what they call a Hawaiian sling, the rest of the world does, is a hand spear, what we call pole spear. In which Hawaiians call not a Hawaiian sling. What do Hawaiians call it? A just three prong or pole well, spear? Well, there is a Hawaiian sling. It's just a, it's a little different. I think that normally has like a free flying shaft. So that's, and so w- what we use on this trip, we just call it pole spears. But then if it has a three prong on it, then we just don't even call it a pole spear. You just call it a three prong. Right. And yeah. the, the local go-to is a true Hawaiian sling, which is basically a piece of cylinder wood with a hole through the middle of it and a piece of band tied to it. And they'll put like a notch in the back of a, a 
spear gun looking spear with no um you know rests on it or whatever and they shoot it like a bow and arrow and it just goes free so for most on oh, that's used here yeah mm-hmm. that's the traditional way to do it that's why like in those holes where we found the grouper there was multiple shafts in there because you shoot a fish and they haul butt with it we would never have gotten a yellow jack like if we'd been using those because they just take off with it oh so that's what the shafts were mm-hmm. uh that's all making sense now and then uh, a little more on regulatory. Who, like, who is the governing regulatory body in the Bahamas for fisheries? The Defense Force. Defense Force. Yes. That sounds real hardcore. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how would like it, how often is it that? And I'm not trying to say this as a way to promote any kind of like derelict behavior, but how often do they patrol? Yeah. Well, the main place is in Nassau. That's where the base is. But they also send boats to different islands to station there for a short period of time and they'll patrol these areas. But in Abaco, I barely see them. Okay. Another regulatory thing, like we were talking about the weight thing. So certain grouper need to be three pounds. Right. It's not an inch thing. Correct. Right. So I think that's the only... But the reason that's so tricky is like, Take take something that you know what it weighs. Like let's say you had like a certified three pound weight, and then go grab a whole bunch of scales, right, and weigh it a bunch of times. You're gonna get two pounds fifteen ounces. You're gonna get three pounds two ounces. It's like with a by measuring a fish, it's like it takes out some level of debate. It's like that fish is blank long. Yep. It just seems like a I'm into it. It just seems like a strange thing to enforce. Yeah, it's a shot in the dark. And it's weird because that's the only, isn't that the only fish that there's actually? A- but they're actually in um, talking about slot sizes now. Huh. It, and For probably, all fish. It would probably be a good thing. The other thing mm. is like, so, <laughs> that's Brandon making that noise. But the other problem is you got to have somebody to enforce it. it. Agreed. 100% agreed. And from a foreigner, you know, coming here and seeing all the derelict people that do bad stuff here, you know, um, sadly it's, it's mostly people visiting, you know, that don't follow the regulations and, you know, it, it's unfortunate because there's such an unbelievable resource here. And, um, you know, you want to protect this, you want this to be able to, you know, keep going for our kids to be able to do it, obviously. But the, um, the, the different regulations they have are wild. So they've got, it's 10 lobsters per boat for a foreign vessel. It's eight conch. With a developed lip, lip, which we've got in the bucket here, and we'll we'll clean those in a bit. Oh yeah, people get frustrated when we're doing stuff on the show. Like we had a guy making uh, Clovis points, and people were really annoyed because they couldn't see it. This is gonna be one of those things that really annoys people. We'll, we'll video it so you to can listen it to someone clean a conch. <laughs> it's a lot of noise at first. <laughs> yeah, it's a noisy process, though, right? Except I'll film it and we'll put it on Instagram. All right, there we go. So but even he, for pelagics, it's different as well. So it's eighteen, fifteen. Pl- is it 15 now? Read. Gosh, so they changed what I, it. What I sent you, you read it. So I think during COVID, they've updated some regulations because they had some time. Got it. Um, but it used to be you're allowed 18 pelagic fish. It can be a combination of dolphin, wahoo, tuna. Um, and I think that's their main ones they're worried about. There's no billfish landing in the Bahamas unless it's for a tournament. So for a tournament, they'll say, hey, if you get a a fish over 500 pounds or whatever the the mm-hmm. size limit is for that specific tournament, they can kill it, which is a very strange. That's real weird. Real weird. So 
uh, you asked about swordfish here. Well, that's kind of like a money talk sort of thing, right? Like you're bringing like a massive amount of economic activity down. And but the thing is, not many get killed during tournaments, surprisingly. Yeah, which is now, good. Now, 15, 20 years ago, that's a different story. Yeah, I mean. There's a lot more bigger marlins. And sharks are totally off limits in the Bahamas. Is that true? Now, yes. So At it's one. totally closed. Yep. They're not allowed to kill them. Mm-hmm. You could catch them. You just got to release it. Gotcha. And what about turtles? You're not allowed to kill them now, though, unfortunately. In your lifetime, were turtles ever open? Yeah. They had a season just like um, it used to open and close at the same time as crawfish season. Oh, how long ago? Like when you were a Six kid? Six years ago. Oh, huh. Really? Oh, seven recently? years ago. No So kidding. did you grow Maybe up doing that? Maybe 10 at the most. Yeah. For I, commercial market or for no, personal use? personal. And what ones were you after? Green turtles. And how would that go down? Yeah, it's kind of violent, but I mean, we used to use a 15-foot pole uh-huh. and I had a pair of greens on the end, tied to a rope in a gallon bottle and just strike them with that and they'll take it and run with it and just pull them back up. Strike them with what? pair of greens. What it is, it's uh, you weld like two barbs. Like They're probably about that wide. So like inch yeah, wide barbs? They go in and they can't come out. And you drive it with what? A pole. Yeah. Got it. And well, just straight through the shell. Well, we t- typically we like to do it down towards the back end, that little strip of just shell. Yeah. So you don't damage the insides, the guts, and all that. Mm-hmm. But me starting it, when I first started doing it, I cur- got cursed out many a times with my fault. <laughs> I used to end up shoving it straight through the top and bottom. Yeah. Not, and your father wouldn't knowing. like that. Because you mess up all the insides, and he used to eat the bottom part as well, the calipi. The calipi, yeah. That's uh, traditionally in the Cayman Islands, too. That's I can't like stand it. I don't like what, it What either. is that? Is that... Um, it's, it's like a gel. It's, it's like, like a, a hard gelatin. gelatin. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. It's, What's the yield on a turtle? So, a lot of people actually just, when they kill turtles, they just take the two front flippers. That's mm-hmm. the biggest. But when you get turtles, the best size they eat is anywhere from 50 to 80 pounds anything above that is starts to get a little tougher like i've gotten some 150 160 pounds and you will taste the difference the taste of the turtle and the texture of it the main meat is in the front flippers that's where the most is that's where the most that's the biggest muscle mass is in i the noticed front. that checking them out when they're just when they decide to kick it in high gear their back feet don't do shit yeah they tuck and go man mm-hmm. i had no idea they could go that fast yeah Oh, then things, sometimes, like when we chase them, if they don't just stay there on the bottom, we'll have to get on plane and chase them around until they come up for air, then you stick them. Wow. Man, that's got to be like a good time. It is. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) I I enjoyed it. They have a lot of guts, huh? Yes. I heard that cleaning them can be pretty stinky. No. I mean, to me, I'm kind of used to it, but yes. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing with them, like, you know, we're used to, like, fish blood, where you, when you shoot a fish in a hole, you can see the blood coming out, just kind of disperses or whatever looks green. Even on the surface, the blood kind of comes out. Man, when you clean a turtle, That's like it's a like human, human blood. <laughs> mm. It floats because oh. it's got so much oxygen in it. Oh. Like, I hit one with the boat accidentally many years ago, and I looked behind me, I was like, what the hell did I hit? Like a red tarp and went back, and it was a turtle. And, I mean, it had an area the size of this room full of blood and i was like jeez you know 
I was in the U.S. Like I like felt so horrible, but like, you know, what are you going to do? Like they come up and and the yeah. the it's such a big animal, man. They're one of the most surprising things I've encountered eating turtles is I was in South America and they were uh, preparing turtle eggs. Mm-hmm. And you know when you take a regular chicken egg, right, and cook it, the yolk solidifies obviously it's like the white part mm-hmm. or sorry not the yolk what the, am I white. Saying? The, white the white solidifies part. like the yolk does its thing and the white does its thing when you cook turtle eggs the yolk like the orange part turns into what you'd imagine it would like a very intense it's like a egg it's like a chicken egg times 10 intense flavored yolkiness but the white doesn't solidify it's jelly huh. So you'd sip it out of there. It was a hard thing to get into. Yeah. The the most sought out, like... A lot of people does that. So the most sought after, like when I was a, a kid, you know, for getting soft shell turtles and then, you know, our family down at the Cayman Islands for the turtles was the de- the undeveloped eggs still inside a turtle. Like when you ever trot line oh, sure. as a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. those ones that are still yellow and they're half, all Yeah, they got, they're like a pink membrane around them. And, yeah. Those were the best ones because then you just cook that whole thing whole. No shit, really? Yeah, like cooking in a pan. Like no. next time you catch like a soft shell or... But it still doesn't solidify? I can't remember, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it, we only did it when I was a little kid. No, I can't do all that. <laughs> <laughs> On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season... They will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. From backyard plinking to serious training to even big game hunting, humorexairguns.com has what you need. Humorex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting-edge rifles that fire 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead-tipped arrows. As air gun hunting has grown across the nation, Humorex Air Guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, Humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Humorexairguns.com also has a lineup of airsoft and paintball markers that replicate your favorite concealed carry pistols, which allow you to practice drawing, aiming, and firing for pennies on the dollar and without loading up to go to the range. Visit Humorexairguns.com to see how far air power has come since you were a little kid. That's humorexairguns.com.
Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Speaking of almost dying, Corinne, I didn't... uh, (laughs) I didn't know that you were so susceptible, dude. Yeah. To to the seasickness. <laughs> You're like Giannis. Really? He's that bad? Oh, he's bad. Giannis is so bad. We were one time on a not a we were on a, like a 22 foot boat. Mm. Giannis was so seasick, he didn't realize we were fighting a swordfish. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no like cabin. Yeah. <laughs> like a oh boat with a steering wheel in the middle. <laughs> and Giannis came uh, under the realization that we were fighting a swordfish. That's how seasick he was. So maybe I could have been a little bit better prepared. It had been a, a long time since I'd gotten seasick, but growing up, I was one of those kids on the big yellow school bus who always was carrying like a brown paper bag. In case I vomed. So, um, you were green. You yeah. were actually green. Green yesterday. God, I I'd never should have gotten a picture that, of me. I would have yeah. wanted to see that. It was um, amazing. But yeah, no, just day one minus Dramamine. I didn't take anything for it. I thought it'd be great. And I was fine for for a number of hours. Um, and you guys were all in the water. And I was hanging out with Brandon on the boat. And at some point, it just hit me. I think I was maybe mid-sentence with you, and I just was like, "Excuse me, gotta go." <laughs> and nothing, nothing came out. But I, I went to you the had a dry uh, heave. Yeah, a little bit of a dry heave, and uh, went went to the to the pit of the boat and just kind of like rolled into a little ball, uh, and was like that for a while. And then I thankfully was able to. I got some Dramamine in me. I slept, but then I was still sick. I probably took the Dramamine too late. It was terrible. I mean, it's it's insane. For anyone who's ever been seasick before, it's almost like there's nothing worse. Uh-huh. You're just totally, you're disoriented. Everything hurts. You're, I, I don't, it's just bad. I was surprised. I'll, I'll ask Brandon about this too, because whenever I'm with someone who's getting seasick, we tell them not to go. Right. down out of sight right but to stay up and watch like concentrate on something that's not moving right. like try to look off at the horizon didn't work for me but you suggested that she go down because yeah. of below the AC. decks where it's because of the ac oh because there's air conditioning there's, the cool breeze to keep yeah. you there was ac it was in the center less. of the boat down below and i was moving less so was that somewhat therapeutic so it was somewhat therapeutic and I also hadn't like slept that much the past couple of days, but that I was the fact that I was able to get like just that tiny bit more comfortable 
And then you got some drugs in me, and then I was able to pass out. And then I woke up hours later, and I'm like, I have to record them coming up with this fish. And he's like, that, that already happened like four times over. <laughs> you missed half the day, sweetheart. <laughs> so, and then you got dessert. Yeah. You got oh, stranded yeah, right, on a deserted right. aisle. So then I thought I felt better when you guys came back on the boat. I was a little bit better, and then it happened all over again. I guess that's when I turned green again. And, uh, and they all... They brought me to a deserted island and left me there like Castaway. A beautiful island, though. <laughs> it was beautiful. She had a little volley. What was that little volleyball on Castaway? Wilson. <laughs> Wilson or whatever <laughs> that was. Did that pack of dogs ever come there that I was telling you about? Nope, pack of dogs didn't come. <laughs> they, they just they left me to the dogs, guys. Uh, but no, as soon as I was ashore, I mean, that was the whole point, right? Like, Steve, you were like, you're going to feel better in just like five minutes. And it was probably three minutes. And I felt totally normal again you guys took off and i'm like screw this i'm not the type of person who just like lies down in the sand and sunbays i was like i'm gonna go hunt <laughs> <laughs> so then i went and got conch for the first time so that was my first getting conch out of the water that was and real, then, and real then the, fun you, you were fine you like it's totally fun you found yeah. the proper proper i mean the next couple of days you found the proper uh little cocktail of meds or yep, something totally yep non-drowsy dramamine as my friend and that worked, you were comfortable. Uh, it was great. Yeah, rest of the trip, I had absolutely no problem whatsoever. Okay, really? Yep, zero, zero issue. Zero issue, day two, day three, et cetera. Yep. You're going to have a lot of people writing you um, <laughs> folk remedies. <laughs> My neighbor in Alaska, Ron Layton, here's what he told me. I mean, he was like a professional longliner, right? Like he's like a man of the sea. And he said, there's one way to cure seasickness. He told me that they made him do it when he was a kid. Every time you start getting seasick, you drink. They make you drink a big mug of salt water, and so you puke. And he said that's how you cure it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's more like a. I was like, there's no way like, that's true. Like, a, <laughs> but he half the stuff that guy tells me is like half, everything he tells me. Ninety percent of what he tells me, I'm like, there's no way that's true. Ninety percent of the things he tells me, my initial thing is that can't be true. Fifty uh -huh. percent of the time, it is. So now you can't ignore. I can't ignore anything he tells me because I'm like, there's a half, like, there's a half a percent, half the time, he tells me something. I'm like, it is true. I mean, I can see that as kind of like a miserable lead up to a lot of relief because if if you throw up, you'll feel better. But I don't. I mean, would that really like cure your? Then I feel like you'd be on round two. Nope, that's you what know? he claims. That cures. It. That's what he had to do, and that's if you're if that's if you want to get serious about solving your seasickness yeah. problem, you got to drink big things of salt water. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so miserable, dude. When you're like seasick, for to be like, I don't know, dude. I drink a pitcher of salt water. <laughs> That'll feel great. I'm somehow not convinced, but okay. Um, what is the story with uh? What's the story with a lot like what 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 y'all call a lobster condo? Lobster trap. Lobster in the, in trap. the states, they call it a condo, which is they're illegal now. They've they've outlawed being able to put out artificial structures. Okay. For lobsters, there was a big hubbub about it. Uh, shoot, it's probably fifteen years ago now okay. in Florida, um, and they just did away with it completely. Um, but in the Bahamas, the commercial lobster guys, you want to talk about dedicated people to working year-round to making their living it's pretty unbelievable but i'll let brandon tell kind of how it's done so for like lobster and it's a lot of money involved in it just mm. to make it so you buy 
it's basically roof and tin, but it's treated with a, I think it's um, galvanized tin. Mm-hmm. It lasts longer. So what you'll do, you get a stack of tin that comes with a hundred sheets in it. Then you'll get some two by sixes, cement blocks. Then you need uh, the Cuban rope, the black, we call it trap rope. So you tie your blocks down. Then to after, that tin. Yes, you tie the blocks to the tin, nail it off. Then after that, further setting them. Describe the structure, like how you make a structure. Like where, where the positioning or the wood and all that stuff. Okay, so the wood would be lengthways of the tin. So to be, I think that's six by three would be the measurement of the trap when you're finished. So you're, make, you're making an artificial ledge for lobsters, basically. A hole that's the perfect height six inches off the bottom and six feet deep, three feet wide. Yep. And you put it out where there is no other real structure. Um, it can be in proximity of rocks or whatever, but the majority of them they put up in the grass. So it's not even near where people are normally going to go look, but the lobsters are out there feeding in the grass. So like, you know, feeding and they're like, Oh yeah, here's a great place to live. And they stay there. And each lobster boat will have, Thousands. Thousands of these. Oh, they'll set thousands of those? The big, thousands. The big commercial boats, they set thousands. Yeah, so it's like... Tens of thousands. Oh, wait a minute. Let, let's imagine, like, just so people can understand. Imagine that you took a sheet of plywood, and I'm just going to make it as, as understandable as possible. We Let, actually, let's say you took a sheet of plywood and, and, and bolted or nailed a couple 4 by 4s to it and set the 4 by 4s on the bottom of the sea mm-hmm. so that the sheet of plywood is sitting how many inches off the bottom? Six inches. And then all manner of shit can crawl under that sheet of plywood and fit between the bottom and the sheet of plywood, and they they just so get out of there. So what the crawfish does as well, if you ever notice the traps, then they're more than six inches deep. So what the crawfish will do when they go in, they'll dig it out. And if you ever notice in front of the traps, you see them shells, mm-hmm. they eat them. Yep. They dig it out the bottom and eat it, and they come and go as they please. So what are called spiny lobsters you guys call crawfish? Crawfish, yes. Yeah, it's a clawless, just for folks at home, it's a clawless lobster, which has yes. an enormous range. I mean, they're everywhere. But it's like Americans see, when Americans visualize the lobster, I was thinking of the main lobster, the mm-hmm. clawed lobster. Uh, and when you set one of those out, when you, when you were doing this professionally, mm-hmm. you set one of those out, like what kind of volume of lobsters would turn up under one of those? So... The most we've ever, I would say, ever gotten from one is about 60 pounds of tails. So that's probably... Tails. Holy Under sh- one of those. <laughs> I've seen it sometimes when crawfish move after the heavy cold front come. I've seen crawfish at so many, they can't fit under it. They're just stacked all on the outside. Wow. When you get there, you can see the big dark spot on the bottom. It's so much around it and on top. It's like opening like a condo cabinet in New York City, shining a flashlight, and the cockroaches just scatter <laughs> out. That's true. <laughs> so when you, I noticed one time when you were going down to check one, you went down and kind of knocked on it. Mm-hmm. What were you doing? So what happens, like, that's just me personally doing it, but if you knock on it, they'll come to the edges and stick their antennas out. <laughs> oh, so you can I never see them. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Take it and just knock it. Get that technique. Bang it. And you can see them, they'll come out, stick their antennas out a little bit. And you can kind of get an assessment of what's going on under there. Yeah. I th- I thought you were going to say it's because of the mores. Because no. the mores will come back. I in. don't even check for all that stuff. Good on you. 
<laughs> so then you went down and you got your you got a hook. Mm-hmm. Basically, got I don't know a three and a half foot dowel. So what it is? It's actually a Hawaiian sling shaft. I cut it in half. It's six foot shaft, so it's three feet long. Okay. You take a paintbrush brush roller, the handle off of that. Mm-hmm. Use that uh, brass fitting for it's the male adapter for your dry gas tanks. Mm-hmm. You put that on the end of the spear, and you sharpen it to a point. Then the hard's got the thread. You could screw it into the handle got of it. the paintbrush roller. Drill oh. a hole through it. Put a little pin in it. Then you fill the handle up with fiberglass resin to give it more weight weight, and also to hold it longer. The, the top piece is just a, I think it's a 10-0 fishing hook. You just shave the little beard off so they can't get stuck on it. The barb. The yeah. barb. And you screw it on, put a little screw through it, tighten it down. Then over it, you slide a big crimp. Yep. You take it to a hydraulic press and they press it. <laughs> And that's your hook. $20 made hook compared to what they sell for $100. And then you go down, and this surprised me. I didn't know if you were just like reaching under their hook in the mouth, but you go out down and just flip the whole damn thing over. Well, I, and that, they go all over the place. That wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you weren't trying to do no, that? No, I don't, I don't flip it over for that same reason. They just, I like to lift it oh, up. I thought maybe you were showing me what was going on, or I couldn't mm-hmm. tell what you were doing. So that's not your normally, normal move. Normally, when, when we do it, we have a short piece of pvc pipe okay we prop one side up on oh, it oh nice when you're yeah. doing like industrial grade yeah. yes when i'm doing when i was doing a commercial and just rake out or you could hook from it under it but i like to rake out a certain amount look through it see what's big enough what's not big enough hook whatever's there is big enough let that rest go go back rake out some of the next side opposite side what you just did because all the dust and mud and everything so you could see on this side just go from side to side. And you always do, you, when you're doing this commercially, you're doing it tankless, right? With a compressor. Oh, you do do, okay. So mm-hmm. you're down there just working away. Commercially, if you want to do it on a commercial scale, free diving isn't the way to go. I see. It's too much. Too yeah. much up and down. Okay, so you just go majority, down there and set up shop. Yeah. And you hook it, and you, you take the hook, and you're basically hooking it under his... Right where his tail meets his head. Oh, which, what do you call it? Carapace. 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 So it's interesting to note, like, it's even hard to get a video of this most of the time, but when they're hooking them, they're hooking them there, and you hook, and then your other hand is here. Oh, my other hand's, like, just sitting to the side, Mm -hmm. and I bring it to me, hold it like this. Same time I grab it, I push up. It's all one motion. What I'm trying to say is, like, when you hook them, you're hooking them, and, and they're normal they're like feeder on the bottom or whatever Mm -hmm. but you hook them and their tail flips they flip upside down and he's catching their tail now facing towards him Mm -hmm. and then in one motion he's juking it killing it right in the center of the the carapace underneath tossing that to the side and doing it again oh cool that's kind of like if you're holding a fry pan and you're flipping it i'm just trying to give the audience a visual like you're just mm kind of like flipping it toward Mm -hmm. you pretty much and it's the efficiency with which they do it is unbelievable. Like on a, I don't know how to gauge like how many can be done in a certain period of time, but say in a, in a, in a free dive, in a one minute free dive. A free dive, like where we was the other day, mm-hmm. if it was just me, I probably could hook six or seven at a time. 
on, on one, one dive. Draft. And you just kind of scatter them around on the bottom. I just throw them out from under the trap. After you kill them? Yeah. I and don't, that's like a, when you're starting to pick them up, I don't like other people picking them up because then they lose track. <laughs> then I'll sit there and look around for forever. Well, you'll notice I didn't, I, know how many. Back. I didn't know what you were doing. Cause I, I thought you lost them. No, I kept. I always keep account. So then I went and put them in your little pile because I didn't realize you were putting them there on purpose. I thought you dropped it on accident or something. I was just trying to figure it out. And you're doing all, like, what are you doing that? You can't hear what anybody's saying. You're underwater. So I'm just trying to like, piece it together. No, and, I. And I, you guys would sometimes do 500 pounds in a day of tails. Tails. Just tails. It's working your ass off. The most I've ever done with my father was almost 800. <gasps> and one day. That's a big pounds. like that's a big day financially, right? That's a huge day. <laughs> Depending on the price too. Sometimes it'll average. Normally it'll start like $70 a pound. But last year was I think it was last year. Last year was the highest. It's been for a very long time. It started at 14. Wow. Wow. And to the end of the season, I think it ended off like 22 or $24 wow. a pound. Wow. wow. Holy cow. Now, this year, it started off as $10. Have you done commercial conch fishing? No. Too much work involved for the, the price of conch. What, is the, what, what would be the price of conch? I think it's like... To the wholesale place where we're selling it to, it'd be like $3 a pound. Oof, God. $4 a pound. Clean. Clean. Mm. Cleaned. No conch. I see why you stick with the lobsters. No shell, nothing, no skin on it, everything clean. Oh, it's oh, it's too much work for the price. You guys will find out why soon. Yeah, we'll, we're going we'll, we'll, to clean yeah. a conch on air. Yep. On we'll air conch. how long cleaning. that takes. <laughs> it's not going to get that from your normal podcast. But the way this season's going so far in Abaco, my father said he's just going to set fish pots. He can make more money. Really? Just because the markets? It's no crawfish. Oh, there's none, really? The first day he had, he got 111 pounds. Wow. Compared to an average of four to 500 pounds the first day. So what do you think makes a difference from year to year as to whether there's a good season or not? Out of season fishing. Really? You think so? You no, don't think I, it's environmental conditions or hurricanes no, or current no. or any of that? Interesting. All yeah, all yeah, all summer long. My father said that there's more boats down there crawfishing than what the first day is be. Now, I'm Which not going to goes th- back to the point of patrolling. I'm not going to throw any nations under the bus, but there's a lot of other nations <laughs> <laughs> that are historically blamed here for invading Bahamian waters, and oh. there is a which is true hatred. I mean, a solid mm. hatred for good reason. For them coming and stealing the resource. Because they kill everything. They kill everything. They go out there and dive on compressors in 180, 200 feet of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because no there's just not the enforcement for it. And it's interesting because the from from my understanding of the Bahamian Defense Force and, and whatever, they do have a fair number of boats. The problem is they don't have the funding for, like, fuel. So, like, we're always asking, like, well, where the hell are you guys at the dock? Like, we don't have any money for fuel. Yep. To go out and actually patrol. Because you think in one day, they could go and confiscate all the boats they would ever need for patrolling. You know, because there's all these big old boats coming over from all over that don't have, uh, have not checked into the U.S. or, or whatever. Because you got to check in and do customs and immigration, pay your, your um, 
you know, entry fees and get your licenses before you can go and do anything. You're not allowed to take anything until you've landed in the Bahamas and done that. And people do day trips. They come over here and they hammer the place and they run back. So Bimini's a famous place oh for that. Man, it, it's it's really unfortunate. But, Coming from Miami. Yeah, there's just not enforcement. They just don't have the money for fuel. It's not allocated for it, unfortunately. And hopefully that changes here in the next ten years as they, you know, just make it better. Let's talk about hole hunting for a minute. We've covered various aspects of of, of spear fishing, but we haven't talked about hole hunting for big grouper. It would be. I could see how someone would look and think that it was like naughty because someone made the comment about shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Explain the basic, like, yeah, why are the rules different underwater? In what way? Explain how, explain how you go hole hunting for grouper. Uh, so grouper and most of these reef fish that we're hunting, they're on the reef. So somewhere is going to be their home. And, and they, they live in holes. They live in holes. So you're, you're eventually going to go in a hole. So like as kids and growing up, and I mean, honestly, until about 15 years ago, I'd never really used the light except for lobsters. And, you know, you you know, you said that to me a handful of times about lights. You're like, if we'd have had these lights when we were kids, dude, it would have been a whole different program. Huge. Huge. I agree. So like, you know, we, you know, would follow a group when we were kids and you go in a hole and you look in there and it's just black. You're like, all right. Let's go find something else. Yeah, the, uh, let me let me spend a couple seconds on these holes. It might be that that um, like when we're saying a hole, it's I want you to, people to understand like it's how like a rock like, like a what rock exactly we're talking about. It might be that you have a hole. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of configurations, but yeah, it agreed. wouldn't be unusual to find a hole that would be big enough for you to get your head and shoulders into the mouth of. It. I mean, it's like a hole in the rocks, like a little cave opening. You could get your head and shoulders into it or not or it might be that you can just look under it and you couldn't get any part of you in there but you shine a light in there you realize you're looking into the space that could be the size of a five gallon bucket it could be the size of a household refrigerator in in these cavities and then and then off of that is all these other little pockets and ledges and holes like a coffee can that like a hole the diameter of a coffee can that goes back in three feet Mm-hmm. And you want to know how the hell did that form, right? But like like holes of right. all makes and sizes. Swiss uh, cheese. Swiss cheese. A good way to think yeah. of it and a good way to describe it so people can visualize it is think of your house, then think of five of your friends' houses. All of them are shaped differently. You think about being able to come through the front door, walk into the first room, then go into a hallway, then it opens up into yeah, another well, this room. Has an open floor plan. Then there's a ba- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then there's a bathroom, and there's all these different spaces, and they turn and all that. Yeah, and they got upstairs and downstairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah. So it's, yeah, if you shrunk a house down to the size of a car, <laughs> that'd be like a grouper hole. <laughs> yeah, and every single one is different. So there was one towards the end of the day yesterday where, instead of like kind of prepping prepping you on it, I was like, just go. Go look at it and tell me what you think the approach is for it. Let, let's focus in on that fish for a minute because this fish had a we, this had had <laughs> uncertain fate. <laughs> Who found you found the fish? Yeah, so okay, I, you found it out and about doing his business, and I chased him, man, as fast as I could swim for probably two hundred fifty yards. Yeah, when you take off after one, you're gone. Yeah, I can't like a lot of times I can't find you. <laughs> I like kick to try to like look around, and I and I'm like, oh shit, there he is, way over there. Yeah, yeah. you like 
Stay on top of him. Yeah. So I haul ass after him because I know he's going to a hole. And that one had the choice of heading to the right and going out off the drop off and going into, you know, hundred foot of water. And it's, but instead he turned and went shallow. So he actually went in to about 35, 40 feet of water. So I followed him. He went a hole and looking at the hole, I could tell by the way it was swept out, you know, with sand and stuff, that was his spot. So I waited for you guys to come. And I knew it was like a 20 pound yellowfin grouper. And I went down and put the light on him and put a, a camera in there to record actually in the hole while he was in there. And you can tell when you look in there on a hole like that, he's not leaving. Like that's where he knows it's the absolute safest place within whatever proximity. Like that's the spot. So the challenge with that hole is he had swept it out so that the entrance, which was like if you make a if you make a circle with your arms right now towards your chest and kind of bring it in a little bit, it's kind of oblong shape. And you had to go down a little bit and then up into it, if that makes sense. Because yeah. he swept out the sand. Can't get a spear in there. If you put a spear in the hole, you're it's below him. Yeah. Because the lip of the ledge is basically pushing your spear down. And that you couldn't excavate anything to make room for the butt end of the spear because it was all just rock or yep. coral, hard coral. So you tried, and you never even could get the angle, and so you're like, hey, whoever wants to try it. So Perrin was giving me all kind of advice about how to do it. I said, then you go do it. And I tried. And he got in there with his with his spear and got it all lined up, and I noticed he had to get his body back out and then take a blind shot. Trying to configure the spear at the angle of what you think it needs to be because you can't actually be up in the hole while you shoot. Then Cameron went back down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, oh. no, just, don't steal all his glory here. So you pulled the trigger, and you hear, I at least, for me, it was one of the most satisfying noises ever, was to hear you hit solid rock. Yeah. 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 She said that was rock. That yeah. was solid rock. Yeah. So did, then, not, did not clear the lip. So, of course, we give shit to Perrin as soon as he hits the surface. He's like, all right, well, you go catch him with your hands then. I was like, all right, I think I can do it. So I went down there and blocked the whole hole with my shoulders, put my head in there, and I had him. Like, I had him in my hands multiple times in the hole. He just wouldn't open his mouth. The trick is to get him to bite you so that you can get your hands in his mouth, and then you can get your hands in his gills. Yep. And he's basically noodling. Yeah, you noodle him out. Grouper, which yep. I've, I've done plenty of times. But, man, that was a it's pretty good noodling 30 feet of water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I had a pretty good battle with him. And during this, you know, all of us mucking around down there, we had two sharks that had come up. And one of them, just as I came to the surface after noodling him and all that hell was breaking loose, was like right there at the mouth of the hole. And that grouper came out like, you know, like a guy that had almost gotten knocked out yeah, fighting. Like, like, here's the thing. It's like nothing had actually happened to him, but he had just had the most harrowing. <laughs> he had had probably the most harrowing 45 minutes that he's ever had in his whole life. And the way that shark is like, something is with that fish, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He had his number. Yeah. So the grouper just came out of the hole and, you know, it's like he's been in a dark room for 45 minutes. He walks out in the sunlight and right there is a six-foot shark. Like, something's wrong with you. Oh. <laughs> and I couldn't believe the way that shark recognized that. He's like, I don't know what it is, but you're not right. <laughs> and man, they both took off like a bat out of hell and they were instantly gone. If I had to bet money, I think the group was not alive. I think so too. Because here's what I think would happen to him. He's, he can't go to his main hideout and he's going to go into like, 
He's got to know exactly where he's going. And if he goes into any place that where it dead ends or there's another grouper, he's going to pause. And that dude's on him, man. Yeah. I feel I, bad for him. I think he survived. Oh, you do? You'd be surprised. <laughs> Them groupers are tough fish. I mean, Especially he was a shark, shark on him, dude. I can't believe that was wild. He'll fit himself in a small hole, but you don't think he could fit in. <laughs> yeah. So, it, and that. I hope he's alive. That's something interesting to say for both the, the grouper and the, the shark. Like, the fish are amazingly hardy. Like, the grouper that uh, that we got with Kimmy, that one had an old scar in it yeah. from where he had been shot and it ripped out, you know, and he had healed over it. And you actually pointed it out. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, it's plain, like, it plain as day. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those big old warriors, like, they're going to have that. And then on the, on the other end of the spectrum, the sharks, like, how fast that shark went like we're always like yeah you know like look at the shark or you know al roker said uh you know redirect the shark you know when they're coming at you or whatever seeing how fast that shark goes there is nothing you can do if they want you no. if they want to bite you you're getting bit there's no way to stop them they're just so fast i was really impressed by how fast that shark swam God, like i normally would, would put money on the grouper but seeing that shark just chase that grouper and just how much he gained on him i would put my money on the shark oh what a little mor- what a morsel man <laughs> <laughs> that's a big meal dude man so let's let's talk about the uh, let's cover on a, on a whole hunt that went right you saw him out mo- minding his own business yeah like i'm gonna take you with me every time we go for groupers because as soon as you and i jump in the water the bubbles clear and you like, see one we see one yeah <laughs> so we jumped in that spot and um, as soon as bubbles cleared, like I kicked towards the reef and I saw a big one, like the biggest grouper we've seen the whole trip. And he started hauling butt um, up the reef and I took off like a bat out of hell. Yeah. How far did he go before he went into his hole? Probably 40 yards, 50 yards. Um, and we're talking about, a, we're talking about a 40 pound fish. Yeah. And he, it, it's tough in that shallow stuff because you're like, your neck is so craned. Think about laying flat on the floor on your stomach and having to crane to look in front of you along the floor. That's a weird position. And like in the shallows, they're like straight in front of you. It's not like looking down. So they're already on the edge of visibility. So I'm hauling butt after him. And he went up into a section of the reef that uh, Zach Brown and I actually found together. Um, and in fact, I call that, that spot, I think, uh, Zach hole or Zach Zach black Black. or something. Zach black. (laughs) Zach black. (laughs) Black. Well, it had a black grouper. Yep. And he went in that same hole that Zach and I had gotten a big yellowfin grouper in. And I mean, you said it was like the most happy you see me in a long time. Like I was just like, yes, he was giddy. Yes. Cause I knew the hole. And the only way to figure those holes out is to have an experience like we did yesterday is like, you got to just spend a ton of time in there and figure out. I can get my body into this hole by twisting this way. Then I got to bring the pole spear in this way. But once they go in these dark holes where they think they're safe, for the most part, those groupers like to have an exit. That particular hole does not have an exit, but it has enough space in there that he can go in and turn around. So their MO is to go in those holes, go way back up in the dark and just lay up against the back of it so that, Anybody looking in there is just going to think it's the back of the hole because their camouflage and their coloring, they can change, you know, like a chameleon. They can change to match whatever they're doing. So in there, they're usually just jet black. So went in there and looked with the light once kind of the, you know, the dust settled 
And then we started having to strategize, like how, how can we get in that hole with a spear short enough to get in the hole and then shoot them? Yeah, because you actually said even though you knew that hole and you found that hole, you guys weren't successful because it was too small mm -hmm. for for Zach's body. Yeah, and it was a tricky in. hole. Like it was great. It was a wonderful opportunity. And of course, having you put all those spotlights on the fish so we could see it was everything. Because Steve and I couldn't even see it at first. But then trying to figure out, because you really had to go deep into that hole because he was way in the back. And, and it's like a narrow little thing that's like just enough to fit my body, but trying to then figure out how to get a spear in there at the right angle and how to have it loaded in there. That was, that was a lot. And for reference, the, the hole that we're talking about was probably just wide enough that Steve or I or Kimmy's shoulders could get in. So we could sneak our body in there. But then you had to go easy f six foot. Just like, your, yeah, your, your feet are sticking out. Your just your feet are sticking out. Are sticking out. Yeah. So you're, and it's not like it's straight down. So you're going probably down two feet and then immediately turning and going to the left five feet, six feet. And the fish is back there about nine feet, 10 feet. He's way in there. So it's, it's wild. It's like a weird, like kind of side shaped chimney. And it, it's just, it's weird to squeeze yourself in this like twisted tunnel that's just enough to fit your body, knowing that there's no possible way. You're, when you're in all the way to your ankles and you know that you can't turn around, that's a weird feeling. Really weird. Because going backwards is not the easiest thing to and do. How, mm -hmm. And how many feet were you guys underwater? I, I was at the Probably 30, 30, 30 somewhere. Yeah. 35 yep. there. Yeah. Yep. And this is on a breath, you know. So yeah, on a single breath. Yep. So, and this is one of the, the things that I love about the whole hunting is the strategy behind it. Because all of us are, you know, we're, we're students of whatever sport it is, you know, hunting, diving, fishing. And for each one of these situations, you have to draw on every experience you had leading up to that to make it happen. Because, like, general people would have, like, a big, long pole spear we've been using the whole time and be like, this is, this is not going to happen. You just can't get the thing in there. Or, you know, he's around the corner, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to be able to get it. Yeah, we kicked around harpooning it. Yeah, just oh, pushing yeah. into him. So, in my mind, I mean, there's... There's usually a way that you can figure it out. Um, it's just being patient, you know, because once you touch him that one time, he's going to blow out of there. So making that first shot count and not just taking a pot shot is really important. Well, you got to wait for the sand to settle. It's got to be clear enough you can see him. You know, Steve was backing you out. I think I told you, you know, like if, if she starts getting stuck, you know, pull her out. Um, and I told Cammy, I was like, when you do go and shoot him, if you don't have the perfect shot, don't don't let it go. But when you do shoot him, just let go of everything. All you need to focus on is getting out of that hole because there's not enough space for both of you guys to be in that hole at the same time at the entrance because it's so narrow. And then you got a spear coming back at you too. So the danger factor and the complexity of all is is what makes it very challenging, very dangerous, and and you know awesome as well yeah i just want to illuminate the picture it's like i was on the top watching this all go down it's like multiple dives down from all of you sometimes one of you sometimes a couple of you guys to, together checking it out seeing it coming back up readjusting the plan thinking of different 
you know, ways to get him out, who was going to do what, who was going to, you know, it was just kind of this battle plan unfolding as you'd go and lay eyes on him. Or at one point, maybe he was like further Mm -hmm. back in the hole. You couldn't see him. I mean, it's just like your, your team coming together to try to figure out who's, job who's doing what how to get this and then to see it all come together from the surface was complete i mean it was insane to see like kimmy jam that spear in steve was behind her went in and i mean (laughs) i i ejected immediately like cameron said cameron just looked me in the eye i was like after you spirit do not even try to horse it out Get out of there. Steve, came, get ready to up, pull her out. You came up with a smile on your face. I knew I, I knew I got him good. <laughs> like, smiling. Uh-huh. I'm, I think the first I'm thing you said when he came up is that ought to work or yeah. something like that. Yeah, exactly. You knew you hit him solid. I you fist, can hear I it. I fist pumped Cameron on the way up. And then said, said I, I said, I think that's going to work. And then when he started talking to me, I just happened to put my face back in the water and Steve was already going down there <laughs> to retrieve it. And I'm like, oh, Steve's already in it. So tell us from, from your side, yeah. Steve, because yeah. I mean... I. I know, like, <laughs> at least in my mind, I think that's the first time you realized how strong fish can be. Oh, yeah. I, know. I, I mean, <laughs> the, the first awesome. thing that surprised me is when I put my arm in there, I couldn't find the shaft. And that thing's long. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, that thing isn't there far. <laughs> and I eventually reached up in there pretty good and got a hold of the shaft and started to pull him. And I was surprised that I could actually pull him a little bit. But then he come out. Did he come he out just, head first? Yeah, yeah. just nothing. Tail, man. <laughs> oh, just, I was, I was, I had no idea that fish was that big. Steve was whipped, and it was around. just nothing but like, oh, I just like could see his just tail. Reminded like a big halibut tail, but so he, he came did out tail on. first. Absolutely. No, 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 he came out head first, but somehow that, there was so much <laughs> silt and sediment and shit, and I just saw like what I thought looked like a halibut tail. You know, mm. like just tail. Yeah, his tail is pro- easily. Two like, hands fanned Yeah, out. like your hands. Yeah, your hands Easily. put together. Oh, wait. Did we did we say how big this grouper was? Yeah, he's 40, yeah. 40 pounds, okay. yeah. You know, like, it both, I feel like 40 pounds. Brandon feels like upper 30s. It was, a, it was like, like a monster. Stout it, ass fish, man. It, it you were strong. getting dragged around in circles. Yeah. It, oh, he <laughs> so you pulled got, me like. So you got it coming out. And w- like, what was kind of your plan? Like, oh, I'm just going to take him to the surface. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what I thought I had to hurry because I thought if he just came out, and, I kept thinking, well, if he comes out and just swims away with the whole kit and caboodle, uh, yeah. which mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, he could. So I thought it was true. like a, I thought it was like an essence of like hundred percent. Yeah, and that's like hurrying, you know, because if he like came out and yeah. swam for all the service, he just like swam off. If he just yep. swam off. So I thought you had to kind of be like Johnny on the spot. I think you did. The I don't right know. Thing. I was going to pull him out of the hole. I don't know. And you guys are always hanging around, making sure nothing bad happens to me. So I figured if I got him out of the hole, someone else would do something. Just, so from from as soon as I looked down, I was just trying to be helpful. You pull you pulled him out, and you're kind of facing the hole. You pulled him out, and in the video, you can see he comes out like a bat out of hell, <laughs> comes to life, and spins you around yeah. 180 on yeah, it. was crazy. Dime. Dry, dragged you at least 25 feet oh, over yeah. the bottom of the yeah, ocean. And you had made a comment about you like the kind of fish where you got to dig your heels in to try to drag them out of the hole, which is hard with a fin on. But I actually, when he went under that next ledge, I yep. had to like, I, bra- I was trying to brace myself yeah. to get the hole. The rock. Yep. Like I was going to do a deadlift. That was <laughs> I was like getting set up for a deadlift. And then once he was him. free of the hole, then Kimmy was down there. And then I was like, holy shit, that fish is big, man. That's amazing. It just seems like in that, sh- I don't know why, but like in that, because most of the fish you're looking at aren't big. You know, you're looking at all kinds of fish, like, you know, two, three, four pounds. I mean, just all the reef fish. And I just didn't know that something like that was, 
around. Even it when I went down and me. looked at it, because you're only looking at it like a, there's like a portion of a fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you put a light in there, you're like, just look where the light is. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, fish, I don't know. Here, what about this? You said it's like 30, 40 something pounds. When you're looking at it in the cooler, what's its dimensions? It's, so it filled uh, it a, a, a Yeti 165. Its lips and tail are touching. Yeah. Yep. And That's fat, a good reference. And just fat and chubby in between. Those, those big blacks. Um, we can always tell like they're over 35 when they get that big bottom jaw. Like you can see the big shoulders, but that big bottom jaw, as they get bigger, it just gets bigger and bigger. And you're like, that's a real one. Mm-hmm. You know, at, but lo, less than that, I still think it's kind of not a juvenile. I mean, they're good fish, but that's a, a stud. Like that was a big one. You know, the thing I've learned from, um, I think I learned from spear fishermen that I had to put together for like after a whole life of rod and reeling fish is that like grip like that the if you get your hand up in his throat so your thumb is under one gill plate and your four fingers go under the other gill plate and you're basically like grabbing his trachea hmm. you're grabbing the base of his gills and pushing all of his gills together too you so can you're closing like, his man gills. you can manage a hell yeah. of a big yep. fish like that and it's so much easier to swim them and turn them For by sure. their head you got them you think of oh, it, you're choking they, them. They shut right down. Yeah. You're not letting water go through their gills. They're like, oh, geez. I mean, this yeah, is different. It's like it puts you in the driver's seat in a way the holding his tail and shit does not. No. You know? It just makes him that much more. I mean, that's how they're shaped to be hydrodynamic. So it just Oh, makes yeah. Sense. That was like, I couldn't believe the first time I did it. I did it on a, on a yellow tail. And it was like, he was just like very hard to manage, wrapping all over, beating me in the side of the head. And I eventually <laughs> got him like that. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> I give. On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season, they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days or go to onxmaps.com hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. From backyard plinking to serious training to even big game hunting, humorexairguns.com has what you need. Humorex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting-edge rifles that fire 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead-tipped arrows. As air gun hunting has grown across the nation, Humorex Air Guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, Humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Humorexairguns.com also has a lineup of airsoft and paintball markers. 
that replicate your favorite concealed carry pistols, which allow you to practice drawing, aiming, and firing for pennies on the dollar and without loading up to go to the range. Visit humorxairguns.com to see how far air power has come since you were a little kid. That's humorxairguns.com. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Uh, if you're curious what all this looks like, all oh, the whole hunting. Perrin, as, a cam- as an underwater cameraman, how would you rank coverage? It's one of the most difficult things to shoot ever because you guys are disappearing inside of a cave. And and it does make it does create certain complexities. It? <laughs> well, it's dark, and you have a flashlight, and there's silt everywhere. So, honestly, the camera rigs like we can barely get them inside the holes. Um, having GoPros and things rigged up in the cave, like camera setting up, is super helpful for us because um, grouper and stuff they just disappear into the dark. So, it's not the easiest thing to shoot. And one thing people forget uh, is that the camera guys have to keep up with you, athletes or divers, and. Uh, it's, it's gonna be hard sometimes. But, but we have this great. There's like great stuff. Oh yeah. Oh we got, yeah. We nailed no, it. Parent, yeah. if you were to rate like the footage that we've been getting recently, I mean, like, it's 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 as good as it gets for the Bahamas. Um, and there's a lot of teamwork involved in that with you guys hunting, but also like Kimmy and and Cameron. I've been diving with them for almost a decade now. So when we're all diving together, it is the most fun for me because we don't even have conversations. We just look at each other and all of us know exactly what to do at all times in the water. And it's like this unspoken communication when we're hunting and and filming that's just like everything is seamless. And creating with professionals and and getting it all on camera, it just, what we've created this past week is going to be one of those badass Bahamas shows I've ever seen. So I'm, I'm excited about it. That's what I'm talking about. And they'll be able to see it where, Kimmy? On Meat Eater YouTube. I think it's going to release in October. And, um, yeah, I'm going to have my own little series on Meat Eater. What other pl- what other places are on there? So this is our, our travel episode. It is um, currently a four-part series. And so we have Maui, my origins. Um, and we have other places in Hawaii, Big Island. And this is the travel episode. Bahamas. Awesome. Yeah. But Perrin um, and my husband, Justin, have been filming all the underwater stuff. And I think it's just, it's 
so damn cool to have like people who are not just really really good cameramen but they're also they're also holding their breath with us i don't think a lot of people understand That's that insane, guys. and they're also just that their knowledge and understanding of spearfishing like like they're not just okay we're gonna work our cameras and then be done like any break they get they're out there poking fish too and that's what makes it so cool is it like when we say it's teamwork i mean it is such teamwork half the times when we're diving like it's even our camera guys like grunting or getting our attention to show us like a fish that we're not seeing and um you guys are capturing it but you're you're hunting it with us and that's what i think like makes the filming of the whole thing so fun definitely my heart the problem i have with the way they grunt at you when they see something is it first takes me five minutes to figure out where the hell they're at because <laughs> it never just like automatically occurs to me they're behind me i always start looking like in front of me because you know like underwater noise there's no direction to it mm -hmm. but every time i hear him grunt and i start looking in front of me i'm like well, I, the one place i know he's not is there but i still like like where is he and i'm like oh that's right somewhere behind me grunting next thing pointing is, at a fish <laughs> or just what like what are you talking about they're basically going idiot Idiot. Hey, idiot. <laughs> I thought How about was... right there? I only had to grunt at you a few times, Steve. I mean, it would be Keep that so, slip tip on. so much oh, geez, easier yeah. if we could talk underwater. But I was going like, to get a little chalkboard. You know those little underwater yeah. chalkboards? He's like, look to your right. There is a large hogfish staring at you. <laughs> Cute cards. No, what was so cool is that you guys put each other on so many different fish species so you were able to experience like what it was catching hog yellowjack black grouper couple conk. of others conk. yeah well, conk, a lot of, you know and just to to have that different experience with each species and i, I love i love seeing the learning curve because i mean i said it yesterday like kimmy is arguably one of the best female and male spearfishermen period in the world like she's phenomenal she just has that way in the water um but even still like nerves using different rig in you know the water the first day like you kind of worked out the kinks and same thing with steve you know by the end of the trip i mean we still made some mistakes but night and day different than you know the first day like your guys learning curve was like this like it was pretty incredible that's the fun part okay so uh we got one couple things left one major thing left uh a conch is a large marine snail What's a big conch weigh? It's got to be a few pounds, right? I've had some where the actual meat itself weighs up to two pounds. Oh, the meat itself. Jeez. And then the whole damn shell is way heavier than that. Probably a <laughs> foot long. Jeez. And tastes real good. Yes, they do. Pain in the ass to clean. Oh, but you don't, let, 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 I want to cover another thing. You don't like lobster anymore. You got burned out. You're like someone that gets a job at an ice cream place. <laughs> Pretty much. And they quit eating ice cream. <laughs> I mean, I'll still eat it, but. I really lost the taste for it. Handled too many of them. Seeing too much, smelt it, eating it too much. But you still like conch. Yeah, I love conch. It's not, uh, cleaning conch is not um, intuitive. No. Count, no. You, like, well, I'll, I'll back this up. We're going to go, we're going to clean, you're going to clean one for us again. I think I, I told you the story, but I'm going to tell it again. The first time I, we tried to clean one, we were in the southern Yucatan Peninsula. And we were kind of camping in this old bombed out house. It was like the roof had burned off. It was sort of like just a structure. And the windows were gone, but it had the window frames. And we had a rental car. And we took the bottle jack out of the rental car, and we'd put the conch up against the top of the window frame. The frame. And put the bottle jack on the bottom of the window frame. 
and put a two by four between the conch and the window frame. So it's like from going from it's like the window frame, a bottle jack, a two by four on top of the bottle jack, then the conch sandwiched between the two by four and the roof of the window frame of a house, and then start working the jack. <laughs> There's a bottle jack. It didn't make that noise, but you get the noise. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd like pick, <laughs> crush it, and then pick all the chunks of shell and shit out of there and try to sort out what was edible. And then one day we found where someone had been cleaning some ages ago. And we're like, why do they all have that little hole? And then it began to occur how one breaks into a conch. But I still hadn't really ever figured it out till now. I've so seen people that. completely destroy the shell. To get it out, take a big hammer or a sledgehammer and just completely explode the shell and, like you say, pick the pieces off. Yeah. Okay, we're going to deal with that real quick. We got to step outside though, right? Because it's a messy business. Mm -hmm. All right. Blocked it. So we got, you got the conch in your hand. What's your weight? Two, three pounds? Three pounds? Yes. I'd say two. Two pounds snail in your hand and, he, and he's helical and he comes to a point and those are his, like his growth rings. Yes. And you're going to chisel into that snail shell where the end of his body curls all the way around. Yep. So basically... you got a special hammer. Is that made for that? Yeah. Actually, it is. It's like, uh, imagine a... Um, it's like a two... I can't think of what the blade is called. Like a... Hatchet? Yeah, like two hatchet blades set at 90 degree angles. So one side's got a, one side's got a vertical and one side's got a horizontal depending on your stroke, right? Different strokes for different folks. That's right. So you're gonna take that and you're gonna bore into that shell. Yeah, so what you're gonna do is count. I normally typically count up instead of counting down. Mm -hmm. It's practically the same, so I'll count two up. So you start from this one where it's more defined. One, two in between the second and the third. Well, how do you know where to start counting? Yeah, that's an immediate argument. Because <laughs> you go to where it gets sharp. It's more defined. So the yeah, first roll that's well-defined. But that's someone's preference. That's how I was taught. So that, you'd count, he'd <laughs> be the one you count. <laughs> you'd count that one right there. Yeah, that'll be one, that'll be two. I go, I go a little go shit on Okay, then. If you call total <laughs> bullshit, where's the, where's the nuts That's true, the... but we... <laughs> It's you right. Mean, right? Yeah. It doesn't it's matter. Right. Right. You count, count, count two from there, see if you can yeah. get him out. And, and that's a funny thing. Because <laughs> I guarantee you will never get him out. No, because that's not, technically there's no horns. One, two, then you break that, and what right. you get. So th this goes to show that it's, it's almost by, it's like common sense that that's going to be where it's going to be. You know, like that's where you got to crack it. Yes and no. But I'm saying, like, for us, like, you look at it, that makes total sense it's going to be there. For me, it makes total sense it's going to be right there. He, you know what he said to me a handful of times? He said to me something about how he was trained or how he was taught. He's got, like, a... Yeah, he does. Like right. an allegiance Let's to do the... Let's do it. Let's do it. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's between the seventh and the eighth. Let's do it, guys. But if you want to count all of them, yeah. All right, go. Sorry. And how do you know where you're going to whack it? I count the notches, so you go, you count two notches, one, two, and it's in between the second and third. From but you, you're counting the, the first front, notch that has texture. Yes. From the one that's really defined. Tip. You know, a defined horny little growth ring. Yes. And you just count up two, in between the second and third is where you're going to crack them. And the goal is that you're going to break a little teeny hole in there. Yes. 
and then sever his mooring because he's like curled inside there. And you're that's gonna just get to the, the muscle stuck to the shell itself. Yep. That's what attaches him. It's so he's only really, attached in one little spot inside yep. there. You're not really cutting nothing off to say detach it. You're just removing it. Got it. Just you're just prying it, it free. Pretty much. Le loosening his grip on his shell. Yes. Got it. And that's it. Wow. Okay, there's a little hole, third inch by an inch. Now this one he wants though. Well, I don't. I he snakes a bendy Dexter fillet knife in there, and you're just freeing up. So the flexi blade's really important, huh? Um, to be honest, no. No. I prefer to use a um butter knife. Mm. Got it. Then you grab wow. his foot and oh my goodness. Wow. Comes right out of there. You'd never oh, guess that's who was living crazy in there. Crazy looking wow. thing. Just slides right out. He's got a little dinosaur oh claw God. for a hook. An orange section, a black section, a brown section, and a big old white section. So what all this is edible? All of it really and truthfully all of it is edible besides the spur, the gut, and the mouth. You, you cut that eat, off. You could eat the eyes. And everything looks like a little alien. Fetus. And then you got to get the rubbery skin off there. You don't have to. You don't have like, to. Like no, like demons, normally they won't cut it off. Oh really? You eat the skin and everything. Hmm. Huh. So Steve, why are you cutting it off for us? Because we're not Bahamians. Well, I mean, I'd probably wear y'all out, and y'all just probably have a different point of view on it. Yeah. If it's got the skin on, people say it makes it tougher. But not really. So what come out of there is like a big. I mean, what you left over was, I would say, you left over with like a big hamburger patty of meat. Pretty much, yes. And uh, so, Steve, what's your hot tip takeaway from conch cleaning? Don't use a, a bottle jack. <laughs> okay, so one last thing. Speaking of conch, the other day we had. This is where you listeners get involved. The other day we had uh, conch fritters. At a restaurant that is just, it's, it's crazy. I, I can't stop thinking about the guy in the restaurant. That's amazing. There's a guy, and his family has been on this island for I don't know how long. 150 years or something crazy. He lives alone, mm -hmm. for the most part, lives alone on an island. Collects rainwater and has a brackish water well. Completely off the grid. And of all things, he runs a restaurant that he used to run with his mother, who grew up there. His siblings were, like, born on the island. He likes to point out that he wasn't because he was born in a hospital and then taken back to the island. Family dates back over a century. And, like, this dude named Chester has his restaurant. And you need to call and tell him you're coming, and you pull a boat up. I mean, he's many miles from the nearest road. You pull a boat up, and he makes fried fish, conch fritters. And during season, he cooks you lobster. Cameron's friends with him. And it's like, it's not, it's hard to explain. the Like, normally you think of a restaurant, you think of someone like, uh, he's just like, he's just trying to get by in a way that makes sense to him. Yeah. Right? And provide like, like a really nice service. It's like, it's like a restaurant, but it's not. It's his home. No too. one's getting rich at this restaurant. <laughs> it's just like he like lives the way that makes sense to him and the way he's been there and it's a restaurant and it, it brings about a tremendous amount of goodwill you call him you come in you park your boat you walk up and he makes crank fritters and fried fish and sells beer 
It's a great place. And like slam and rum punch. Rum punch is delicious. But for him yeah. to get fuel is a real pain yeah. in the ass. And, and Cameron can explain the fuel situation. So he had, he's always run on generator. It's not like there's power out there. And I think in a 30 mile stretch, there might be five other people that live. Like he's just right smack in the middle of no man's land. So he's got a, a diesel generator that he had for the last 10 years or whatever that died just after this past hurricane. So about 10 miles away on another island, we had heard that there was another generator that had been up in the woods in the bush for like 15 years left. Like, And the guy who owns that island said, you guys can have that if you want. So him and two other guys went and got that old generator that's just been overgrown or whatever, put it on a boat, drug it back to the island, and we drug it up the hill and put it back in there. And somehow a mechanic got it going after you know a week. So now he's got this dilapidated old generator and to get fuel for that he's got to get in his boat go 15 miles get diesel put it in jerry cans and bring it back to that on hump it up the hill and refill that generator constantly so just before covid i i got a guy to and go he, he then got weirdly he got shut down for nine months during yeah. covid talk about brutal like a place that no one even know about he's like restaurants got shut down i closed yeah that's so weird. Like, Tough. I would have been like, I'm just going to keep staying open. Because <laughs> who's going to know? <laughs> who's going to know, yeah. Um, so he's always he's always said, you know, if you can get me a generator, you know, that'd be great. So a while back, I went there and looked in the generator shed. Man, there's like five generators in there. Like a diesel generator is just not the way to go. They're just going to keep dying. Yeah, they die and just live there. And he They're just moves, moves over and puts another one in. So I was like, why not do solar? You know, so I was like, started looking into getting quotes for solar, had a guy go out there and figure out the amount of power he needed and give us a quote and a, and a game plan for doing solar. And that's where I got Steve involved. You know, I said, you know, if, if you can give back anything for this trip, it would be to help him to get him solar just because he has done such a service for everyone that has ever visited that place. We'll never forget it. That's one of the coolest spots on the planet. And just to take one aspect of us giving back to him and this worldwide community that loves that place so much and putting solar that's going to help the environment and help that island, I, I would love to do that. And we are rolling right now. We're with Chester. Can you introduce yourself and where we are right now? Hi, I'm Chester Davo. We had flows, conch shack, and little harbor in the Barry Islands, Bahamas. And how big is this island that we're standing on, and who inhabits it? The island is about two and a half miles long and about a quarter mile wide to the widest. Current population? Current population right now is two, but usually <laughs> just one. <laughs> so years ago, I was down here in the Bahamas, and we've been fishing up in the northern Barry Islands. We were running back down south and we ran past this island and I was like, man, who lives on that island? There's like two little houses and a buddy's like, man, that's that restaurant that's called Flo's. He's like, well, how in the heck do they get anything there? But let's go check. We got to go check this out. So we pull in, run aground a couple times trying to get in here and finally get in here to the dock and walk up. And I was like, hey, can we have lunch? Chester's like, you can have lunch tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and it just segued into the next 15 years of getting to know Chester and just what he has to go through day to day to live on an island by himself 
and run a restaurant, which is arguably the best conch and fresh fish, fried fish I've ever had in my life anywhere in the world. It's, it's so good. It's so good. Thank you very much for that, Cam. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be wild for you seeing this every day, but, you know, every little bit is history because your family's been here for more than 100 years. Yeah, well, what, basically what got me started with this, uh, when I was in school, my mom told me that this was our father's dream before he passed. So in school, I used to think about it all the time. And what I'm doing here right now is just trying to fulfill his dream because he's not here. So I took it upon myself to make it my dream. And what's your family's history here? You're telling me about your great or great, great grandmother. Her name is Agnes Johnson. I think she was born in 1814, if I'm not mistaken. And she was the founder of this island. Little Harbor and the, the, the keys around it. And it's been in our family ever since. It's generation property. You said she used to, what did she used to do on this island? She used to cook for, uh, for the pirates. That's bef <laughs> before she bought this island, she did on Sistan Key, which is opposite Great Harbor. And she used to cook for the pirates, and they used to pay in gold. She was a slave. And that's where she made her fortune. And she overheard the pirates talking about purchasing Little Harbor. So when they went out to sea, she went in Nassau and purchased it. And when they came back and they met her here, <laughs> that's how she got this island. How'd that go over with the pirates? Well, they didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> she already paid for it. <laughs> that's pretty wild. And the, when you, as soon as you pull up here, you see... <laughs> Pile. Generations and generations piled, the biggest pile of conch shells I've ever seen. You're looking at over 100 years of conch. 100 years of conch. I mean, it's literally got to be close to a million conch. Well, what you got to look at, what you're looking at is only half of what used to be here. Huh. Because the shell, it rots after a while and it turns into sand. Hmm. That's why your sand's so pretty. <laughs> from all that conch. Yep. I guess so. So you run a restaurant, you live on this island, there are needs for power, electricity to keep things running. Yes, ma'am. What's, what's your current situation with this now? Well, right now, I'm just skating on thin ice right now. <laughs> That's what, what's going on with me right now. And, you know, I need help. If whoever can help me, I'd appreciate it very much. What's the, what's the backstory? For the... Um the major challenge here is Chester lives 15 miles from any other civilization. So to get even fuel for the generator, he's got to go down and get in his boat if the weather allows, and then run another 15 miles up, take gas cans up, get them filled with diesel, hop back in the boat, run back here, and then hump them up this hill, and then back another 150 yards back into the bush to a generator that is probably 30 or 40 years old. Probably. You know, and it's been... It's, I mean, you're just hanging on by a thread, keeping that thing running. Pretty much. And uh, how, how hot was it today? About 96 degrees? Inside. Inside. <laughs> so, having even a fan is helpful here. So, yep. you know, having that generator is a big deal. But <clears throat> I'd had the idea just before COVID to try to get you solar. 
he's got a perfect piece of land here that's kind of protected from you know the hurricanes there's a good spot to put the solar kind of out of the way um it, it's going to save you know moving diesel and and not having to to rely on fossil fuels period um and just you know you think about the things we do day to day just to survive you know at home and how many people we have helping us he doesn't have anybody helping it's just him so if you're having an off day and you know it's the however many how many how many days do you run on diesel before you got a refill uh well the tank i have is about uh about every three three days i usually put in about 15 gallons Jeez. roughly hmm. so it's a lot of work yep <laughs> Let's get some solar on Sounds this island. I so, can sure use it. Personally, I couldn't fund it, and I wanted to get some friends together to help do it. And everyone I talked to had offered to help, but you know, Steve and talking to him and you know our group of friends here is like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. You know, let's really help him out. We can use our reach, you know, to help a good guy in a cool place. You know, to be able to keep you. Sustained. doing what you're doing yep. mm -hmm. so more people can come and enjoy this and, and this is there's not enough places like this on the planet with yeah. people like you yeah we I'd spent that. we spent a um, number of hours over a couple of days here at chester's and this was the base camp for part of the film shoot he fed us from the restaurant uh it was a scene for um it, uh, we used his kitchen and his restaurant for a cooking scene for the show and um yeah i mean it's something that anyone who's in this area like needs to come and experience it is something that you really i can't imagine finding anywhere else um so it's just kind of preservation of history and and continuing that yes you can say that again <laughs> helping the environment helping chester he also makes a slam and rum punch by the way <laughs> that's flo's famous rum punch <laughs> Flow's conch shack, right? Flow's conch shack solar. Yep, um, that's that's what I've put together on. So yeah, GoFundMe. Cameron set up a GoFundMe to help. And you might be sitting there thinking, like, um, why would I give a shit about this place? I don't. I, I can't explain it to you. Yeah, it's a cool place. It's a really cool project. He's a great guy. Such a nice guy. And it's like it'd just be fun to to do that. And I feel like you know, I feel like a lot of listeners would kick in a few bucks. Yeah. I'm going to kick in some money. Yeah. Any, I mean, anything helps, you know, and if it takes us five years, you know, to do it, you think about how many thousands and thousands of gallons of diesel burned that that'll save, mm -hmm. you know, in one of the most pristine spots in the world to be able to do it solar and to take that, you know, out of it, those fossil fuels out of it would be pretty amazing. And he's just such just, a nice, unusual guy. You just man. want that place and what he's doing to exist in this world. I mean, he has, like you said, over a hundred, over a century of history there, he said to himself, like, I'm never leaving this island. That's what he wants to do for the rest of his life. But it's, like, not exactly, like, fitted for today's world, you know? And so... It's true. But to me, it's, like, those are the little gems, the little spl splashes of, like, awesome, unique diversity that makes the world that much more interesting. So if we all could help it out just so it can exist, like... What a better place. The, the, the history. Flo's Conch Shack Solar. Yeah. You can have it all set up. Yep. Flo's Conch Shack Solar. One thing he mentioned as it being his dad's dream, I feel like it was like a couple of generations back. What was it, Cam? His great, 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 
grandmother, mm-hmm. Flo, she, uh, he told us a story about how uh, she used to serve food on that island to the pirates. And she, they were paying she, gold. Hair and gold. Yeah. Yeah. She, was, <laughs> yeah. she was born a slave, yep. but yeah, but got into feeding the pirates when they would come in and would get collect gold. This is in the 1800s. Yeah, so. made, yeah. made a little fortune off of that and not sustained them on the island for a while. And the, had heard the pirates liked that island. So when the pirates went out to do their thing, she went to Nassau and bought the island. So they were a little bitter about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I asked. I was like, so what did the pirates do? They must have been pissed. (laughs) So let's keep that history up into the present and future. Yeah, it's a fun project. We'll talk more about it. Thank you, We're also going to put together, we also got a little video of showing the place. It'd be sweet if, It'd be sweet if people could, uh, like I said, kick in a couple bucks and pull that whole thing together. It'd be fun. Yeah, it's where it's where Kimmy did her cooking segment, or the three of us, I should say, did our cooking segment. Um, yeah, you know, for her show in the series. And Chester's on it. Yeah, Chester's on it. All right, not to be confused with Chester the Divester. Yeah, this is a different Chester. <laughs> different Chester. <laughs> Polygraph right. Chester. All right, yeah. <laughs> Lion Chester. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. These things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater. From backyard plinking to serious training to big game hunting, humorxairguns.com has what you need. Humorx offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting edge rifles that fire, get this, 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead tipped arrows. Humorex Air Guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Visit humorexairguns.com today. That's humorexairguns.com.